welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts... Carol. Matt. And Mel. And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. Our guest today is the lovely Nuchas. Welcome back to the show for her third appearance. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Third appearance, wow. Yeah, you're a, you're a Hooplehead by proxy. I am, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming less of a Hooplehead. When, when we finish watching, do we, like, graduate to, like schemer or elsewhere in jing level <laughs> i haven't figured out the next tier but yes you you will no longer be a hooplehead oh that'd be great <laughs> i strive to remain a hooplehead i guess you'll be a town elder or something you'll be invited to all the meetings you'll, you'll oh, eat all the canned all the peaches. peaches yes <laughs> <laughs> so the big news this past week was that uh Actor Garrett Dillahunt, who played Jack McCall, tweeted that he heard a rumor that a Deadwood movie was being discussed at HBO, Mm. and HBO later confirmed that they are in early talks to have a movie. Interesting. Very early talks, so don't hold your breath. That'd be fun. It was then reported in a lot of uh, different news outlets that it seems to be headed toward that direction. Hmm. I made it a point not to click on any of those news outlets. You are a good Hooplehead. Yeah, I didn't click either, but I was like, ooh, Deadwood movie, that would be fun. I didn't even see that. Yeah. Yeah. So, we shall see. We've heard rumblings before, but this is... This was more attention than is normally paid to this sort of thing. So, I guess you could say it's promising. And we're in the middle of everything coming back. Yes, as I was going to say, it seems to be a trend that previously popular or canceled programs are being resurrected. Twin uh-huh. Peaks, X-Files. <laughs> so maybe. We'll see. Yeah, I'm okay with that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to uh, address our Reader's Theater from last week. I posted this on the Facebook group, but I'm, I'm sure some people listen to the podcast, but they're not on the group, so they may have missed this l- a little bit of information that... The article that Jonathan read last time about the wickedness of the minister's sons, the James boys, all the wickedness suppressed in the father seems to have broken out in the sons. I've figured out that this is probably referring to Jesse James and his brother Frank James, who were the famous outlaws, bank robbers. Uh, Around this time, late 19th century, their father was a a preacher. Not a Methodist preacher, but a Baptist preacher. I I was thinking that when you read the article, when the article was read last week. Yeah, I actually thought that too. I I just kind of taken that for granted. I wish you would have said something. We could have talked <laughs> about uh, Jesse James. Did they Oops. ever make their way to Deadwood? As far as I know, I don't think they did. Anyone who's anyone goes to Deadwood. Hmm. Well, maybe they maybe they came at some point. <laughs> I'm told that uh part of my family had some dealings with the Dalton brothers, but not the uh James brothers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Apparently, they used to sell them horses. They trade off their horses as they rode by. Oh, that's cool. Our article today is read by Illyrio, host of of uh, potential casts. That's the Buffy the Vampire Slayer intro cast on which all these other intro casts are based. He's also the newbie co-host on the Last Word podcast, which is a press gang podcast. Uh, you guys watching press gang? No. I don't even know what that is. 
No, I haven't heard of it. It was a show done by Stephen Moffat of Doctor Who and, and Sherlock. This was like his first television project. It's about a kid's newspaper. Huh. And it's actually quite good. I'm, in, I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, episodes are on YouTube. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I was going to say, it's not on Netflix, so I've been avoiding it. <laughs> but if it's on YouTube, maybe yeah. I could watch it. It's on YouTube. Episodes are like 25 minutes at the most. And Illyrio and Christy, this podcast called The Last Word, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's very entertaining. Uh, Julia Sawala is the lead actress in the show. She's uh, Safi from Absolutely oh, I love Fabulous. Her. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I it's, love a, it's a lot of fun. So, Illyrio, uh, thanks in advance for uh, recording this. I'm going to play it now. The following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times, September 20th, 1877, December 26th, 1877, and March 25th, 1878. Woman dressed in a male apparel arrived in Deadwood. Among the passengers on the Cheyenne stage last evening was a young woman attired in male apparel. She was from Hat Creek, the home of our Robin Hoods, and immediately on arriving here, she struck for a bar. In the course of time, she got drunk, drunker than a boiled oil, and kicked up a considerable amount of rumpus on the streets. The matter coming to the ears of Sheriff Bullock... He gobbled her and lodged her in jail, where she was sleeping off her drunk at last accounts. This is the first case of a woman being imprisoned in the hills. Her examination has not yet been called for a hearing, as she is under surgical treatment. What? What? To the editor of the Times, there is probably no greater nuisance in the Black Hills than Uncle Billy, although he is (laughs) not sane and not responsible for his actions, that unless he be shipped out of the country, he will someday commit an assault that would be hard to determine what such result might be. Only a few days ago, he struck an innocent man across the face with his large club, laying his cheek open, and this morning he struck at some boys who, boy-like, were teasing him, and had it not been for a providential circumstance, he would have killed one of them instantly. We understand a subscription is being circulated to send him out of the country, which is the best that can be done. Fatty issued challenge to a foot race to any fatty. (laughs) Betty Chase has issued a verbal challenge to any fat man in town to run a foot race from the rear of the Denver market to the flume at the foot of the rockets near the summit of the hill. Several of our heavyweights have been canvassing the challenge, and it is very probable that some of them will take him up. Among the number is Christie of the Corner and the 400-pound resident of Elizabethtown. (laughs) It is thought that the race will require about six hours in its completion and will afford a world of fun. We'll bet on Chase. Let somebody now trot out their climbers. <laughs> All right. What does trout out of their climbers mean? Has anyone heard that expression? <laughs> is this like a gossip column or something? <laughs> these are, these are our, the local denizens. <laughs> I kind of wondered whether there were a couple typos in there and rather than trout out, trot out. Yeah, mm. that's what I was thinking. Could and be. And earlier when it said he gobbled her, I was thinking, are you sure you don't mean cobbled her? That I, G be a C? I misread it and so, so I googled her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? But the first story was almost as if it was this episode. Mm. Because, like, you could see them basing this episode, taking pieces of that. Because it's like, okay, so this is Jane, yeah. She goes... For Bart, yeah. She's drunk, okay. Um, she does see Sheriff Bullock. She does go in the jail cell, even though it's really the room that, uh, uh, Charlie kept for her. And she is under surgical treatment because the doctor says that her liver's not doing very well. Yes, and she's decided she's dying. So. Yes, yes. 
Mm-hmm. So funny. I wanted to do that, uh, play that recording earlier, but Seth wasn't sheriff yet, so I held on to that one. Ah. But well, I, this is a perfect time to do it anyway. Yeah, I thought it. I thought it was about Jane. It's certainly. I mean, she dresses in male apparel. There's, but there's probably others. Oh yeah, yeah. In, you know, yeah. in real life, but oh, yeah. I'd like to think it was Jane. Yeah, there have been great. lots of stories of women um, going into the army dressed as men and so forth throughout throughout history. Well, if you find, if you look at even today, uh, societies where it's male dominated, there's always been, uh, cases of women dressing as men so that they could do things. You know, um, we're constantly hearing, uh, in, in, in countries where women don't have rights, women dressing as men so they can drive a car or they can read or they can go to school or whatever it is. Um, which is always, always fun. I, I love, I love those stories. Those are some of my favorite stories. When people are pressed, they get sneaky. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's uh, some cultures where women can actually change their gender. Um, and it's it's something that's not as common anymore. But I remember reading this whole thing about how if all the men in your family die, the oldest daughter will then become a man. And basically it just means that she starts dressing like a man, doing her hair like a man, so that she's able to work and provide for the family and then will live the rest of her days as a man. Right. I've heard that too. And it's, it's, it's amazing. I was, uh, I was watching this interview with, uh, like one of the last ones and, uh, it was just, it was just fascinating. It was like, I, I, this is something I'd never heard of. <laughs> and this is, and, this is going and, on in these countries that they stone women for doing things like that. <laughs> And it makes sense because I had a, I knew a woman back in the late 70s and early 80s from Japan who um, had to give up her dreams of becoming a uh, performer and go back to Japan to marry whoever her mother could find to arrange a marriage for because there were no men left in her family and there had to be a man in order to bury her mother. Mm-hmm. And so she, as the only child, had had to go back and just marry any man she could so that he would be able to handle the family um, duties such as funeral arrangements for her mother when her mother died. Her mother was in perfectly fine health at that point. But, but they needed to prepare ahead of time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So, so this, uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying this would be an alternative to the same problem. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention before I forgot, uh, you guys were talking about the, the meaning of the title of the episode last week. And, uh, I, I've come across an, an idiom, uh, history is a lie agreed upon. Yes. Is, is often said. That's so right. I thought that was kind of funny, especially because there's so many historical elements in this show, mm-hmm. but they've twisted them into fiction. Mm-hmm. That's right. So. I'd forgotten about that quote. <clears throat> What's that mean? History is a lie agreed upon. Well, yeah. when we talk about history so many times, it's, it's, um, it's the story we want to tell, not facts. Right. Um, they, they often say that history is written by the winners. Well, there, and there's so many things like we talk about in, in the States, we talk about Paul Revere, right? Even Canadians have heard of Paul Revere, 
but in truth, which is like the Laura Secord of the United States. Um, <laughs> but in, in truth, Paul Revere did not do what the poem said he did. Somebody else did that. And Paul Revere only did a very short, uh, uh, path. And someone else did a much longer path and actually had an impact. But his name didn't work for the poem. Yep. So we learned about Paul Revere, you know, uh, we grow up learning about Christopher Columbus in the United States and we've got all these nursery rhymes and everything, but we never actually learn about what happened, the real facts. And, uh, it's only now that people are starting to say, you know what? We, we should not be celebrating Columbus Day and <laughs> we should change that to the Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, but it's so that that's what history is a lie agreed upon. Basically, we've all agreed to tell the same story, even though it's not fact. And certainly today, with uh, films being made, you know they bend, yeah. his, you know, they they ignore historical accuracy when it suits their narrative, uh, yeah, and they, what works for the for the running time of their film. The latest one about the uh, Stonewall um, mm-hmm. riot, where they've changed a transgender black woman to a straight white male. What? Yeah. Yeah, the the new Stonewall movie is nothing. It appears, at least from the poster, it's mostly white guys and maybe a white woman, and that is not the makeup when you look at the actual pictures from history. Right, and it's like literally the first stone thrown. They know who did it. It was a yep. a black transgender woman, and they changed it to um, the straight white male protagonist in the film, apparently. I've, I have to say, I did read an article where they said that's not true, and then they showed some photos of different cast members, and it looks like a, a good representation, but I don't know what the poster is. I mean, the poster... I, I that's hope not, that's not, true. Yeah, your your promotional department, and, and it's completely separate from whoever makes the film. It's the same in television. They have, you know, how they market a, a tele- episode of television or, or the show itself is separate from the people actually doing the, you know, doing the filmmaking. Yeah. This is very true. I I remember not seeing um oh the Robert Redford movie um about him going out into the woods. I can't remember the the name of the movie right offhand. And I didn't see it cuz of the way it was advertised. And then later on I saw it on TV and it's like, "Hey, this is a good movie." Jeremiah Johnson. You were correct. It was trot out of they're climbers. I I found the article and I read it, <laughs> and yeah, I transcribed it wrong. I copied it down wrong. So, oh okay. Though I'm still not sure what it means. Trot out. Um, trot out is to uh, to bring out. To put on display. Yeah, or to bring them out to race. Yeah. You know, to to uh, find them and bring them out and put them out there. So, in other words, somebody. Um, I assume climbers because they're going to the summit. So in other words, folks, bring out your fat people who are willing to climb up this mountain. <laughs> and someone's 400 pounds. That seems yeah. uh, remarkable. Um, it must be a, uh, not a disorder, but a, it probably is not food-related, let's say, yeah, given yeah. how how uh, rations and, and so forth are in short supply in the camp. Yeah. So it's got to be a... Yeah, there's, um, genetic. Uh, that's the word I was looking for. Genetic. Yes. Yes. It's, 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 it's not. Yeah. There's, there's this whole story that, um, 
we had to go into with uh, Beyond the Wall when people were like, I don't understand why is Sam still fat? They're starving, yada, yada. And I had to go into the whole thing where it's like, you know what? Weight is not about food. And and so often, and, and if you look at pictures of these times when people had poor nutrition, you know, they weren't eating very much. They were skipping meals. They were, you know, but they were working hard every day of their life and they were still pretty big. It goes to show that, yeah, it's, it's, there's so much more that has to do with, with your weight and that some people are just going to be big. If mama's big and daddy's big, baby's going to be big. Or maybe this person has a goiter. Or a that, goiter, yeah. Is, and, and don't uh, look at, uh, on the internet for pictures of goiters. If no, wanna, don't do that. If you want to <laughs> keep your lunch down. And it also might be what is available to eat. If, Absolutely. If what's available to eat happens to be something that puts weight on that person. Uh-huh. then that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And, and you know, skipping meals is just going to make you heavier anyway, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's there's so many things, it's it's it cracks me up. It's like, well, why isn't this person losing weight? It's like, people have been fat for all of history. Deal with it. Yeah. Hey, let's get into the episode. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> This is episode 14, episode 2 of season 2, A Lie Agreed Upon, part 2, written by Jody Worth, directed by Ed Bianchi, original air date March 13th, 2005. So it's later that night, and the doc is bandaging Al. Al inquires about that lunatic Bullock. Al's ready to play on. The doc wants to know if Al has been experiencing burning or soreness while urinating, but Al says, this discussion is over. And that's when E.B. tells Al that Bullock has returned to the hotel, so... Continuing, continuing the uh, urinary issues, which apparently the doc already knows about. Yeah, that was one of the things I took from that. I did not know what gleets were, so I looked them up. What are gleets? I wish I'd written down the definition, but in my own words, it usually has to do with um, venereal disease. All of a sudden, the name starts with a G. Just went right out of my head. Gonorrhea. 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 Yes, I, I found the definition as a watery discharge from the urethra caused by a gonorrheal infection. Yes. Oh, that's that's horrible sounding. Yeah. And so I I waited until almost the end when it was mentioned for the third or fourth time, and I was like, I've got to write this down and remember to look it up. Are we going to say, Mel? Uh, I can't remember now. <laughs> <laughs> what were you going to say about gonorrhea? Oh yeah, Uh, his eyeball like looked so awful. It made me scream out in horror. (laughs) Yes, yeah, terrifying. Like it was just oh man, it just looked like a giant boil. Mm. Are you talking about the one that was not all bruised shut, and the other one that seemed like it was almost popping out of his head? No, no, it was the one that was bruised shut. It just looked like a giant boilish, pimply kind of thing. Yeah, because sometimes the one that wasn't all messed up looked like it was just going to 
pop right out of his head. I was like, what the hell is happening with his eyes? It looked enlarged. Mm. Yeah. Probably just in contrast. Yeah. Mm. Maybe. I think so. Alma hopes her appearance at the hotel caused no awkwardness. Uh, Oh, no, none at all, Alma. It was perfectly fine. (laughs) Seth tells her she has to decide tonight if they leave together or if they stay and sever their connection because he won't add to Martha's daily humiliation. So he's willing to go with her. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised. I was surprised at that. I I just thought about him like, okay, so you're trying to save her from humiliation, but if you leave her, does that mean like you're not going to send her money or are you going to send her money from when wherever you set yourself up or like are you just going to leave her destitute with this kid? And how's that going to look for her? Oh, yeah. The day I showed up, my husband left. In the next scene, actually, we find out that Seth wants to put a plan in motion mm-hmm. for for Martha. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. At the hardware store, Trixie is seeing DeSaul. Charlie tells Merrick he might need to get some weapons to get Seth's uh, gun and badge back. And this is when Seth walks in. He tells Saul, finally, I'm sorry that you were shot. And he divulges, in a roundabout way, his plan to leave the camp. He hopes Saul would look after Martha and William, give them a share of their hardware store profits. Saul has... Sorry, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is nice to see. We never get to see them chatting, it seems like. Yeah, it's been a while since we've gotten a really great Seth-Saul scene. And they've got good chemistry. Like, I really believe that they're friends and they care about each other, which is weird because I don't always feel that with, with Seth and other characters. but. I really feel like he cares about Seth when, when they've got scenes like this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Seth is is pretty contained and everything, but, I mean, it's been pretty obvious that he cares a lot about Saul. Mm. I feel like Saul has been bottling up a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts, but finally, oh, yeah. because he has his load on and he likes being loaded, and he likes saying cocksucker, and he likes <laughs> calling Seth a cocksucker, he can finally speak his mind and say, dude, you are being such a coward. Yeah. Yep. I like Drunk Saul. <laughs> yeah. Drunk Saul is the best. It made, It makes me, it brings Saul up in my list of, these are the characters that I like for this show. So he's 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 now joined Ellsworth and Charlie and Jane. Good. <laughs> well, he's I, a good he's a good guy. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was interesting that both Alma and Charlie made it real clear that they were expecting trouble. Mhm. Outside Trixie offers Charlie a quick open air blowjob. He declines. <laughs> yeah. Why did she do that? That was great. I think it's her uh, default mode. <laughs> I think I think it was like a defense mechanism, you know. She she's like, "Stop making me feel." Let me turn this into a transaction. Yeah, I almost got the feeling like you know how when cats are confused, they just start washing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I almost got that feeling with Trixie, except it wasn't washing. <laughs> Seth comes outside, and Charlie tries to distract him with small talk. How about that house, huh? What a fine boy! How dignified is that, Martha? You say you're going back to the gym? Oh, suddenly I'm faint. I'm lightheaded. Oh, you better take me home. Yeah, yeah that is that funny. what that was? Yes. Oh, yeah. It was oh, a yeah. stalling tactic. Yeah. yeah Charlie's was... awesome. <laughs> Charlie's play acting a bit. <laughs> so I didn't even know that William was sick. What was he sick with? Mm. Mm, that's a good question. William. I don't think they said. No. Oh, people got sick all the time back then. Yeah, I know. Stuff. It was probably the TB. Everybody was sick with the TB back then, right? <laughs> Which one is William? 
The little boy. The kid. Oh, he had been sick before. Yeah, okay. Okay. He's not sick now. No, but they didn't say with what, so I was just wondering. Yeah, kids, kids, uh, it was a miracle if somebody lasted to adulthood. Yeah. And obviously they're not going to make that journey if he was in any sort of poor condition. It would just be horrendous. Silas tells Al that Yankton is afraid they'll lose the hills and therefore the gold within those hills to Montana. Montana has silver for bribes and Bullock is friendly with Montana officials because he was a marshal there. And a judge from Helena wanted him to go into politics. Bullock's a wild card. He might be Montana's man or maybe he's not, but his death could spur the officials in Montana to pursue annexation of the hills. Either way, the situation is ambiguous. Maybe they shouldn't uh, upset this proverbial apple cart. Al wants to know... Silas, why did you sit on this information when I was moments away from stabbing Seth in the street? And Sil- Silas is like, eh, moment didn't seem right. <laughs> yeah, yeah I wasn't about that, all that. That didn't sound right. You can't bring that up. <laughs> That's a long conversation. It was a long conversation. It was a long conversation to type and recap just now. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he had plenty of time before that whole fight, as I recall. I mean, he was in town. Before the fight, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember when he showed up. I don't either. But it seemed weird that he didn't mention that. I mean, not that he knew that Al and, and Seth were going to go at it, but still. Maybe he feels more prompted to say something like he wasn't going to say it before, but then after seeing this giant fight where they fell off the balcony he's like well maybe I should mention something he had more of a pressing desire to make sure he said it before anything else happened yeah yeah it may just not have seemed as important like when he didn't know that the two of them were about ready to go at each other Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting that Bullock says he's going to get his gun and talk to Dan giving him the headache so Bullock is looking for a fight. Al is looking for a fight. Oh, everyone's on edge. Yeah, and Dan yeah. is looking for a fight. Always. Yeah, but more so. I guess he was very jittery and jumpy. I got the feeling like the adrenaline was really like... Yeah, he got all pumped up and he didn't get to kill anyone. Yeah. You got to hit him with the butt of the gun, though. Yeah, it's not the same. I think a lot of his his anxiety is coming from Silas and this feeling of being replaced. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Miss Isringhausen tells Alma that leaving the camp with Seth would be like living atop a volcano. Exciting, adventurous, dangerous. Alma asks, what about happiness? We do love each other. It's not an outlandish proposition, except that it is. Does she even listen to this woman's console, or is she just like a sounding board? <laughs> she's like, let's listen to, pro- listen to my problems. I think she's a sounding board. I think she's the equivalent of Dolly over at the gym, but instead of getting a, a blowjob, she's just sitting in a chair, but... Yeah. Same kind of thing. I need to talk my problems out. Mm-hmm. I think Alma just wants somebody to agree with her, and she thinks, well, I'm paying this woman. She will just agree with me. And this woman's like, no, you're doing it all wrong. And so Alma's like, what What, what am I even paying you for? Why <laughs> are, are you, you here? Who are you, and what are you doing here? What makes you think you can tell me what to do? I'm the rich person here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, where where got... did you even come from? You weren't here last season. <laughs> when did you get here? She, uh, I mean, she automatically starts apologizing, you know, like, please don't take this wrong, but type thing. So mm-hmm. she knows she's not really being listened to, and it's not, 
I put down that she was a confidant, but she's not really. She's just, as you say, a sounding board more than anything else. I liked the analogy, though, living atop a volcano. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's the volcano? The volcano is their, I guess, the indecency of their relationship. Yeah, and the society they're in. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she can never marry him because he's already married. Right. So what are they going to do? Just run around and pretend to be other people? Um, she still has this giant claim that she has to take care of, and there's people back home, and yeah. Yeah. It's... And I'm pretty sure if she left Deadwood and went anywhere else, and this is just me thinking right now, if she left Deadwood and went anywhere else aside from New York, her in-laws would send the Pinkertons after her, believing that, yeah, she did have something to do with uh, the dude's death. Mm. Also, probably wanting to, there also might be the danger of somebody trying to um, take over her claim, uh, not like a claim jumper, but somebody within their family or whatever trying to get a hold of her money. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because they're not going to leave that interest unattended to. Right. I think the only reason why she's able to hold on to anything is the fact that she's there. If she went yeah. back to New York, her in-laws would take that over and she wouldn't get any of it. That's not my to belief. mention Not to mention her dad. Oh, gosh. Yeah. If he's still alive. I hope he d doesn't show up again. I hope he just died somewhere. Oh, William Russ. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think he's still alive. I think he's a bad penny that's going to keep showing up. You know it. I fear that, but it's not what I want. <laughs> I don't want it either. I don't want to ever see the guy again, but I'm I'm afraid that he's going to pop back up. People like that just don't die. It's, yeah. It's they don't, just they don't go away. They don't go away. They don't die. It's amazing. They're, you know, they're the cockroaches of humanity. Seth deposits Charlie at his freight business. Seth is ready to go after his gun and badge, but Charlie asks, What's the rush? Why now, not a bit later, when a friend can back your play? So Seth sits down. And I really like this. Yeah, just trying to get him to cool his head for a bit. Yeah. Yep. yep. Cooler Charlie heads prevail. Is... Yep. Charlie's been manipulating hotheads for a long time. Potheads. Hotheads. Hotheads. <laughs> hotheads. Hotheads. If he managed... He managed Wild Bill, and now he has to manage Seth. And this is funny because at the beginning of the series, Charlie looked at Seth and thought, oh, you're a lot like Wild Bill, except you're calm and collected. You're not prone to rash decisions. And now it's, wow, this is really just my friend, like completely and totally, and I don't want to lose another friend. Yeah, and drink. It, what, what I said at the very beginning was that Seth, the difference between Seth and Wild Bill was that Seth listened to Saul, and Wild Bill didn't listen to Charlie. Now, Seth is not exactly listening to Saul, but Charlie is being able to manipulate him enough to keep him from doing something totally stupid. Yeah, Seth isn't just outright dismissing Charlie's influence at this point, which is good. Right. And it helps that he's got two people that are trying to calm him down. He's got, he's got Saul. And he's right. got Charlie. 
And then right. Jane shows up and says, let's go get him. Oh, my yeah. God. I love Jane. <laughs> but we'll get there in a moment. But one of my notes is that I love how this show has done has laid so much groundwork for the Seth Charlie relationship in, in terms of how Charlie managed Bill and, and just all that stuff at the beginning of the series. It's really paying off now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although it feels like it just appeared while we were gone for summer break or whatever, mostly. I don't, I mean, Seth and Charlie, they have that whole uh, Jack McCall thing after the Indian, you know, attacked right. Seth and then they buried him and, and then they the went together. Club. Yeah, the ambulators. I mean, Seth and Charlie have been around for a while being good friends. So it doesn't seem out of the blue that Seth would would heed Charlie's advice. Yeah. yeah, it felt very natural to me that he would choose Charlie to be his deputy. And it feels very natural that Charlie can actually influence him. Like, I feel like Seth's support system has been always, I mean, he came in with Saul. Charlie has been brought on as an ally. And then there's Alma. But, I mean, Ellsworth is all business. But, like, everyone else is is an enemy. Because now he's the sheriff and he's got to tell people what to do. Yeah. He's, he does have a network of friends who are in high positions who support him. Yeah, he would, he would be a fool to not listen to them. And yet so many, you know, people in that position and with that temperament don't. And that's the difference between, like, someone who manages to stay alive and be successful and someone who just, you know, is overcome by... You know that old classic thing of um, the the flaw of the, the flawed protagonist, and you know it usually being you know pride or something to that effect. Um, Seth has got it, but he actually listens to people. I was just gonna say, I think the big difference between um, Seth and Bill is that well, one we were seeing Bill at the end of his life, true, and. Um, Seth, we're seeing kind of, it's more of a middle, but it's, it's still at the beginning of his rise. And Bill had given up. When, when we first met Bill, he had already given up. And I think we all decided, like, when he died, it was, he chose to put his back to the door. He, he was putting himself in risk. He was just, he was just done. And, um, Seth is, is not, he's not given up. He's still, he's still got a lot of fight left in, in him. He's here in this world, and that's the big difference. The reason why Seth is listening to Charlie is because he cares to be in this world, and the reason Bill didn't is he was done. He was ready to leave. It's a fair point. Yeah, good point. Joni shows Maddie their new building. Joni has owned this building since November, but she hasn't done any prep work because she didn't want Cy to know that she was proceeding. Maddie tells Doris to get to work. They're going to clean that place up. Oh. Make it into a shiny new whorehouse. I didn't sign up for this. I'm just here to suck cock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to isolate that. I'm going to isolate that audio. <laughs> I was going to say, don't isolate that. <laughs> it's a fancy brothel, though, you know? This is not your, you know, you're not going to have the titty liquor showing up here. No. You should be welcome in all you establishments. Will, you will have the pussy sniffer showing up, though. <laughs> <laughs> the pussy sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so many, so many wonderful side characters. That's great. Just since we're on that, the way that she flounced her skirt 
being enough to give him a real good whiff just made me think about just how fragrant these people were. Uh. <laughs> yeah. No. Stop, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know they're not washing, right? Like they're, oh, they're, yeah. they're not washing in between gentlemen. Right. And then there's regular stuff, you know, like they're, I always think about when you go back to these times, like these people are having a bath a week, you know? If they're lucky. If they're lucky, yeah. If they can afford to go to the bathhouse. Because think about it. Most of these people are living in tents and stuff. Like, can they even get to the bathhouse? And this is South Dakota. Those creeks, they're cold. They're cold enough to keep the bodies from yep. decomposing. Yeah. Oh, boy. Even in the summer. For, for yeah. months, it seemed. But the thing is, yep. they seem to enjoy those smells, you know? Certain <laughs> men seem to. Yeah, well, you know, over over horse crap, sure. Used, yeah, but they were used to that kind of stuff back then, right? It's not like we're used to smelling sweaty people all the time, you know. It smells like the ocean. We learned <laughs> later. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah. People get really used to smells and stuff, um, and uh, we just are not used to it at all. Well, arguably, too, like. Your sense of smell may have been used a lot more back then than it is now, so. May have been, did you say used or confused? Used more, yeah, used more. Used, used because, more. You, you know, it's a more dangerous life, so you kind of have to have your senses heightened anyways. Like Daredevil. Mm. Yeah. But they were, but their, their <laughs> sense of smell was probably being pretty well overwhelmed most of the time. Com- yeah. Compared to our sense of smell now. Yeah, or maybe like they just weren't offended by these smells because they were I used to them. Like they were still smelling yeah. them. Yeah, I yeah. think. So. Oh yeah, they. I remember one show that um, I did, and there was there was a large. It was a a show uh, from indigenous peoples, and there was a large group of chorus in animal skins. That had not been cleaned in a very long time. And they came running through the audience up onto the stage. And behind them was this wave (laughs) of, you know... Cartoon stink lines? Huh? Cartoon stink lines? Yeah. It was was really (laughs) interesting. And in a way, it was like, okay, you know, this is a different culture. And it's just not... Well, it's almost like part of the performance, too. Think about it. Yeah, they run yeah. through the crowd, and then their scent goes through the crowd. That's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was animal skins, and it was, you know, uh, um, it was a combination of smells. It was just definitely, okay, you know, this is another culture, and we need to be, you know, aware that this, these things are fluid. Absolutely. What we consider normal now, we did not consider normal mm. even, I would say, even a 100 years ago, like, well into, I'm sure... That people were pretty stinky well into the 20th century. Yeah. In, you know, most cases. People are still stinky now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I often think of like, when I look at these uh, old timey shows, I always think, okay, this, 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 the gym saloon, it smells like the gamer room at any con. Like, that's just what I assume. <laughs> <laughs> well, back at the hardware store, Trixie's with Saul and, in my experience, having seen all three seasons of the show, Trixie is the character who most often talks in like circles and riddles. She uses a lot of words, but what she's trying to say is, I care about you, but I can't say that I care about you because I have to act tougher than I am 
I don't want to end up hurt, so I wish you were feeling like shit because maybe that would dissuade you from doing stupid things like getting shot. I don't like this level of excitement. I like giving blowjobs. <laughs> and he's like, I love you too. <laughs> I thought that was kind of adorable. When we saw when she was outside with Charlie, she has this defense mechanism to be sexual, to be vulgar, um, to be blunt and rude because she doesn't want to be vulnerable. She doesn't want to get hurt because she's been hurt so often. There was a lot of that this episode. Mm -hmm. Not just from her, from other people too. Are her and Al over? Have they been over these past seven months? Seems like. She still refers to him as my boss. Yeah, but like over as a couple. She hasn't been spending much time there. Yeah, I yeah. think she's still on the outs. Al's having Dolly administer the thumb, not Trixie. Oh, yeah. So we we haven't gotten there yet, but I looked up quotes, and I would say almost all the quotes people are talking about have to do with the thumb. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> at the Bella Union, Cy monologues to his staff. He wants them to know he has a special fondness for Joni Stubbs, and he believes in fostering people's attempts at improving themselves which is why he is her angel investor. Nobody worry, they're perfectly situated at the Bella Union to capitalize on what the camp will become. Now everyone take some money and put thoughts of worry out of your heads. Mm. And Leon is like, what's happening? I don't understand. <laughs> I think I'm Leon this episode, because I didn't know what the hell was going on half the time. Yeah, I thought he, it almost seems like Sai is, I don't know, maybe I'm totally off kilter here, but like... <sighs> He's addressing a problem that doesn't exist. It's like a problem in his head. So he's projecting it onto everybody's going to be nervous about Joni starting a brothel over on the other side. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's exactly my interpretation. Yeah. He's just pouting. I feel like he's losing it, you know? Yeah. He really is. Like, he was Mr. Calm Collected. You couldn't get anything over on him. And, and like, he could sniff somebody out, uh, you know, ferret eyes he sniffed her out right away whereas now it's uh eddie stole money from him joni's been able to open up this brothel and get people to come in without him knowing and he's got nothing he he lost joni he lost eddie he's got nobody to lean on and and to trust what about and, leon uh, lean on leon leon will sell him for a cookie i mean come on I just wanted to say Leon, lean on Leon. Lean yeah. on Leon. <laughs> yeah, say it ten times now. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I feel like Sai is like losing it and I hope it ends up in like this giant bomb. Yeah, he, I agree with you. I, I get the feeling like he's, he's starting to kind of spin out of control mentally. And it's possible that some of his henchmen were thinking, what does it mean for our, our business when the, there's another whorehouse opening? Yeah, I have down here that Sai is consolidating his influence. And he's trying to make sure... He might have been trying to make sure that uh, Joni wouldn't be able to um, lure anybody away. You guys are all my friends, right? Here's some money. Yeah. <laughs> I also think he's trying to tell tell everyone, Joni did this with my permission, my blessing. Yeah. And my, ba- and my money, don't think that she stole from me and that she did this, that I'm weak and impotent. Right. I agree. This was all my idea. Right. It actually was, but... And I was seri- it wasn't a serious idea. Right. And you should remain loyal to me. Here's some money. Yeah. 
I looked up the definitions of monologue and soliloquy. Finally, a monologue is a long speech to other characters. A soliloquy is when a character voices thoughts to himself, and it's for the audience's understanding, uh. not another character's. So this would be a monologue. Kasai is talking a lot, but he's talking to people. I think the scene at the end of the episode when Al is giving that speech, yeah, he's giving it to Dolly, but not really. He doesn't think of her as a person. Mm-hmm. It's really for our understanding what he's talking about. So I think that's a soliloquy, and that's the difference. Yeah, it's not the strict definition of a soliloquy, but I, for all intents and purposes, that's any time. I mean, they've got all of these technical monologues that are really solely to the audience, and there just happens to be another person in the room. Yeah, Dolly may as well be furniture. Yeah. So it's not really a blow jabalog, but a blow liloquy. What did I see the AV club call it? They they just called it uh, him being the Greek chorus. Uh, you know when who, when he's doing who are this. They t- talking about being a Greek chorus. When when these monologues and soliloquies happen, that this is the Greek chorus explaining everything to the audience. Um. All right. Yeah. Later, Al pretty much tries to explain his thoughts. And why he engaged Seth in that, you know, battle royale in the in the mud. He tries to explain it to the audience, but of course he does it in such a roundabout way that it's probably just more confusing. But we'll talk about it when we get there. Doc is scooping out someone's brain. Bummer Dan's, maybe? When a commotion comes from outside. Jane is back in camp. She's fallen from her horse. She has become tangled in her very well-knotted rigging contraption of her own devising. She's back in camp. Not because she's lonely... But because she's dying. Yeah, she just farted, so what? And Doc says, come on inside so I can study your illness. Are you mocking me? <laughs> no, just come inside. It's the second fart in this episode. But it was delivered so well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love it. I love that she created a contraption so she wouldn't fall off her horse when she's drunk. Except she did. Yeah, she did. If it, if it was meant to not make her, to not let her fall off her horse, there, it should have like stopped her from hitting the ground. Now, it, yeah. like there was enough rope where she would hit the ground, and now she's just stuck. Well, she said <laughs> it malfunctioned. Yeah. Oh, I guess it usually works. She was yeah. probably drunk when she set it up, though. That's the problem. Temporarily malfunctioned. Mm. There's a goof in this scene. Uh, okay. The doc hands her a double-edged uh, knife, and when she's cutting herself down, it's a single-edged skinning knife. So the oh, knife changes. Really? Yes. Done goofed. Okay. Garbage show. We'll all stop <laughs> watching. <laughs> yeah, she probably just uh, learned to do sleight of hand when she was working with all those uh, Wild West shows. Yeah, yeah. There you a- go. There you yeah. go. <laughs> I'm thinking filming-wise, they didn't want a double-sided knife next to an actual horse. Oh, and maybe. why would the doc have a skinning knife? So, I don't know. Just my thought. Well, he took he took it off her. Oh, yeah, that is true. Then I have no idea. I don't know why the goo. Somebody just made a mistake when they handed him yeah. prop. That was the best um, the best take, or it was... They oh, did yeah. The, they did the whole thing, all the takes with the one knife, and then they realized they had the wrong knife and just couldn't do that. Or Jane learned sleight of hand from the... Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> I like I like it that Jane's got a sleight of hand and she's totally stealing the doc's the other knife, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. So I've been listening to stuff you missed in history class. Same the podcast. <laughs> and I listened to the uh 
Calamity Jane episode. And the Al Swearingen three-parter, I think it was. <laughs> and while I do feel like I could possibly be spoiled on some things, it was kind of neat because a lot of the information that I thought I knew about Calamity Jane, they cleared up because a lot of it is just, like, bogus out there. And they found a lot of cool stuff. Really? Because, yeah, because everything I had read years ago had basically said that they really didn't know what the truth was because she was kind of known for making Telling tall stuff tales. Up. Yeah. 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 Well, and she has an autobiography. And uh, there's a 10-minute recording that you can listen to. I don't think it's her reading it. I think it's somebody uh, doing it in her her style. But uh, it when you listen to it and you hear about the actual stuff in her life, you can see how it's, this is the story that she's telling people as she's trying to sell herself as a performer. This is not, you know, the God's honest truth kind of a thing. Right. Um, and it's kind of interesting. The thing that um, piqued my interest and uh, I'm sure is not going to be an element in Deadwood uh, is that they said that some sources say that uh, she she may have gone on some of those trips to uh, collect dancers who would then be turned into prostitutes for Al Swearingen. And I'm like, wow, that is so not what we'd see in the show because she hates him so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but apparently Al would, would go and tell uh, women that, oh, yeah, you're going to come and you're going to be a dancer and you're going to get into theater working for me. And then they'd show up in Deadwood and find out that they were prostitutes. Surprise. I've also read that Jane was a frequent guest at the gym where yep. she would uh, dance or what have you. And that she also worked with a, a madam somewhere mm-hmm. else, uh, some other brothel in town. Yeah, before she went and did like the scouting stuff, uh, she was a prostitute in a bunch of the stories that I read. So it's 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 not surprising. And I kind of I could see that being part of her character, too. Like if they, you know, because it's it's. It's a role that women would perform out of necessity, right? It's not, well, I want to be a prostitute. Like, nobody says back in those days, path. I want to be a prostitute. No, I mean, it's it's something that you do because you don't have a choice. Um, and, uh, and, and I can see that being a reason why her character in the show hates Al so much and, and why she's so touchy about men and all this other stuff that it's, it's more than just somebody might have done something to her, but rather she had to live that life and, and she hates it, you know, and it haunts her. And, you know, it's one of the many reasons that she drinks so much. I'm just imagining a, a school where they're handing out those career aptitude tests and, <laughs> and all the students fill it out and all the boys are like, doctor, lawyer, uh, you know, saloon keeper. What about the yeah. girls? Prostitute, whore, prostitute, prostitute, prostitute whore, dancer, yeah. dancer, exotic <laughs> dancer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Aww. So it was, was it was, like, oh, but your daddy's rich. So you get to be an heiress. <laughs> um, but it was, it was really interesting. And one of the other things that I really thought was, uh, that I really picked up on in the podcast was they were talking about how, you know, with the whole Custer thing, uh, how she kept, joining up and and joining them and dressing in men's clothing and a lot of the soldiers knew that it was a woman with them and she would get caught because somebody would make a joke and they're like wait a minute you're not a woman <laughs> and and you're so like they man? kept yeah or sorry you're not a man <laughs> and they kept kicking her out and then she'd run and sneak back in with the army <laughs> there was and a little was- uh, calamity gene uh, gender confusion in this episode which we'll yeah we'll have to get into 
I was thinking that's that sounds like our game too. So yeah. <laughs> I could totally see her doing that. That was fun. Alice Waringen, though, I think um, there could be spoilers there, but I really enjoyed all the stuff before he got to Deadwood. So that was the Stuff You Missed in History Class podcast? Yep. Okay, I'll have to listen to that and maybe yeah, vet it's, some uh, things for my It's newbies. one of the com podcasts. They got a mess of them. So, yes, I am actually promoting a, a corporate-style podcast, but I really like them, so... Well, that's okay. We'll let you this, <laughs> th- this time. You're informative. Good to know. I love history stuff, so I'll take a look at it. They've been podcasting since, like, I think, 07 or 08, so it's... Cool. They've been going for a while. It's the really cool. always change, too. Yes, yes. They change out the hosts, and uh, a lot of them have good academic background, and uh, the, the reason why I started listening to them is I guess they were criticized about doing too many episodes about females. And they're like, okay, less than 20% of our stories are about females. But since you said that, we're going to do more. (laughs) Yeah, because 20% of, yeah. Okay. We're weird. Back at the hotel, we missed the part where Miss Isringhausen suggested that Seth meant to leave with Alma and leaves Sophia behind. Because Alma says, is that what you meant? That... Uh, I should leave without Sophia? That Sophia belongs to the camp? No, she's been part of my life for seven months. He couldn't have meant that. This is one of those things that drives me crazy in entertainment and in real life. (laughs) When people start saying, oh, wait a minute, did they mean this? And then they go off as though the person had said it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't know whether that you know, he may have meant bring Sophia with us and, you know, do whatever. It's not as bad as when people get mad at somebody else for something they did in a dream. Yeah. <laughs> that sounded very pointed. <laughs> it hasn't happened to me, but I know other people it's happened to. Oh, it's happened to me all the time. My my husband will wake up and he'll tell me this dream that he had. And, and I think, like, the most recent is... He was getting mauled by a tiger because I, w- I didn't take out the garbage or something stupid like that. And, and then for days, he's like, well, he should have taken out the garbage and I wouldn't have been mauled by a tiger. <laughs> yeah. I mean, admittedly, it could have just been an excuse for her to talk herself into what she yeah. knew she was going to have to do. But. The longer that went on with her just getting more and more riled up that he would expect her to leave without Sophia, I'm like, when did he ever say that? Or maybe, well, well that when it cut away, maybe Miss Isringhausen actually was raising these points and we missed it. Maybe she did say he wants you to leave without, he, he never mentioned Sophia, did he? And then we go back to them and that's where we pick up the conversation. Yeah, but... As far as we know, he never did mention Sophia. She's just going off on a thing of what she thinks that he probably meant would have said that he didn't want her to bring Sophia. It's like when people obsess over a text message and it's like, he texted, hey, what do you think he means by that? I mean, it's like a flirty. Hey, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then like an hour later, all he has to say is, hey. Well, why doesn't he say anything else? What does he mean? You know, and then they they will work themselves up into a stupor over nothing. And it's like, I meant, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Well, everybody does this at some yeah, point or we another. Do. Obsess over right. small things. Right. 
That's why uh, I said it's both in real life and in television. Yeah. Yeah. We we argue all sides of things in our heads, and then we, we come prepared to be confrontational, and it turns out we had no cause to be. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, where we, just like with that hey thing with the text. Yeah. <laughs> not just saying, oh, what do you mean, but saying, oh, you know, so he doesn't want to talk to me, huh? <laughs> you know, and then doing this whole thing about how he doesn't want to talk to her, you know, instead of actually saying a sentence, and then you find out that, you know, no, that wasn't it at all. But, you know, like making an interpretation and then going off as though that was the most clear thing in the world. Yep. So that was, that made me a little nutty. But you end, you ended up thinking you've had full conversations when really you didn't. Yeah, it was all in your head. And, and so many times when, when, uh, a misunderstanding like this will happen, people will then continue going on as if that had happened. And when they talk to the person, never clearing it up and refusing to change their stance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it frustrating. It does kind of stem from her being a little bit paranoid, I guess, but. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I mean, the way he kind of left off, he wasn't overly warm with her. You know, it's almost like he was already trying to distance himself from her, so maybe she was trying to convince herself somehow that he actually didn't want to run off with her. I don't know. Well, there's another factor, too. This is probably one of the first decisions that any man has ever forced on her. And and left entirely up to her. Entirely I up I think that was fair. Yeah. It, you're right. That should be just her decision. You're right. It's, you know, and it is something that, I mean, I've had, I've had situations where, um, I remember one fellow, I'd say, hey, I deserve to be able to make decisions. And they'd say, yeah, well, you know, I just told you you can make this decision. It's like, no, I don't want to make decisions that you tell me are the ones that you want me to make and the rest of them you make. (laughs) This is, should be a joint effort. Mm. Right, because uh, uh, if Alma chooses wrong, she gets all the blame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. this is a no-win scenario for Alma. Not, now she has all the responsibility mm-hmm. uh, having to make this decision. The you know Previously, she wasn't allowed to make any decisions. And now unilaterally, yeah. Yeah, this is not much of an improvement. This is No, it's, it's actually control in – it's just as much control but manifested a different way. Right. You are now responsible for making this decision by yourself for us. I I am I am putting this on you. Yeah, so he doesn't have to be the bad guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cuz both choices are bad. He hurts someone in both yep. choices. So he's not going to do it and he makes her automatically the bad guy. Yeah. Right. And she uh she's left with this decision without a lot of um without a lot of details on this plan. You know, where right. are we going to live? What are we going to do? Does the child go with us or not? So she's working out all these scenarios in her head with Miss Isringhausen as the sounding board. Yeah. But she, we know by the end of the episode, she does reach a decision. So yep. she mentions that uh, does the girl belong to the camp like we're some sort of outpost of Brook Farm. So Brook Farm was an experiment in communal living in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, between 1841 and 1847. It was a transcendental thinking compound. 
According to the Articles of Agreement, Brook Farm was to combine the thinker and the worker to guarantee the greatest mental freedom and to prepare a society of liberal, cultivated persons whose relations with each other would permit a more wholesome and simpler life than could be led amid the pressure of competitive institutions. Brook Farm attracted not only intellectuals but farmers and craftsmen as well. It paid $1 a day for work, physical and mental, to men and women, provided housing, clothing, food, at approximately actual cost to all members and their dependents. There were no prescribed study hours, but each student was required to give a few hours a day to manual labor. There was an infant school, a primary school, and a college preparatory course covering six years. And there's also an episode on Stuff You Missed in History Class about it. Oh, good. And and they talk about how when they uh, talk about the Alcotts, like Louise May Alcott that, wrote that Little Women. Good, yeah. Yeah, they talk about how her father... Uh, actually started something like this. And the only reason why they didn't go to Brook Farm is they didn't have enough money to be part of Brook Farm. Aha, mm. uh-huh. because I was going to ask if, if that was the one that uh, the Alcots were yeah. part of. But, okay. They were inspired by it, but uh, uh-huh. they were not wealthy enough to be part of Brook Farm. One of the best known residents of Brook Farm was Nathaniel Hawthorne, who wrote a novel called The Blythedale Romance, which is based on his experience living at the compound. Uh-huh. I haven't read that one. That sounds interesting. The community members began building an ambitious structure called the Felonstery. When the uninsured building was destroyed in a fire, the community was financially devastated and they never recovered. It was fully closed in 1847. I believe now it's an historic site in uh, Massachusetts. I've always been fascinated by the kinds of people who would live in compounds and in cults and things. Yeah. That was one of the things they talked about there on, on that podcast. They were saying, you know, when, when are there, when have there been examples where this does end up working out? And what they figured out was, um, things like monasteries and convents. That's when it works out because it's not about instant happiness. It's not about happiness in your life. It's about working towards something beyond you. Whereas many people go into these communes thinking that they're going to have a happy life. I mean, it's a it's a nice idea not to be obsessed with accumulating things, objects, mm-hmm. wealth, to just to kind of do the minimum that you have to to do to get by for you know food and shelter, and then the rest of the time pursue academic interests. Yeah, it, it, know, the ideal that's, is that's definitely nice, appealing. <laughs> yeah, Doc wants to examine Jane. She's ambivalent about opening her blouse, but he's like, "Come on, I'm a doctor. Relax." Well, she's going to keep her eyes on him anyway. And she makes him promise not to autopsy her after she expires. So promised. After the examination, he tells her to stop drinking and she might save her liver. Also, Charlie has a room for her at his freight building. I wonder how he diagnosed her liver just by using a stethoscope. Yeah, I, I think he's known that for a long time. You could probably just look at Jane and be like, you, you probably have liver problems from drinking too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she probably, you know, it was probably more than just the, the scope. It was probably looking at the color of her eyes and their skin and, you know, yeah. other factors. And what she'd been telling him while while they were off yeah. camera about why she was dying. I like how she didn't want to, like, undress around him and didn't want him to touch her or anything. And he's like, I'm a doctor. Okay. <laughs> he's like, I've seen it all. You can't I'm, surprise me. I'm so not interested in you. Trust me. You can't surprise me. Oh, I haven't seen that before. (laughs) (laughs) Seth reveals to Charlie that when he was 13, he went to Fort Cooper and found his brother Robert, who was in the cavalry. They had a good talk, but then Robert sent him back home. 
The Civil War happened. They briefly lost touch. Seth's father died. Seth left for Montana. Later, he met Martha and William at Fort Quitman. Robert wasn't there. He was chasing a raiding party across the Rio Grande into Mexico where he was shot and killed. Seth went to Mexico to retrieve Robert's body. Seth starts to cry, and Charlie excuses himself uh, digestive issues. <laughs> I like how he keeps using like his body to get out of situ- <laughs> stop situations from happening. <laughs> well, that was really kind of him because he knew Seth didn't want him want to be seen crying. Yeah, Seth was not the kind of guy that. What, Mister? Up- I keep all my emotions inside me. Yeah. Unless I'm talking about toes. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so- Charlie's definition of a gentleman is humorous. Yeah. He's so sweet. I love him. <laughs> yeah, he really is. There's, I think there's been another occasion where Charlie has excused himself because of trying to allow people to save face. Either they were crying or they were upset or something. I don't remember mm. specifically, but I have this memory of, of Charlie or somebody saying, I gotta go. So that to allow another character time alone. I gotta go. I've gotta return some movies. <laughs> Seth mentions the Butterfield stage route. This was the first transcontinental mail system. Mm-hmm. It operated from 1858 to 1861. It was a semi-weekly mail and passenger stage service with routes from St. Louis, Missouri, and Memphis, Tennessee across northern Texas to San Francisco. The distance spanned was 2,795 miles. That's 4,498 kilometers. It took about 25 days for a letter sent from Memphis to reach San Francisco. By comparison, the Pony Express could transport a letter between coasts in only 10 days. But the Pony Express didn't last that long, right? No, it didn't. Yeah. Because the trains uh, came in and telegraphed. And neither did the uh, this mail route. They had financial problems and they had to close, uh, shut down business. In addition to mail, the uh, the coaches had room for five or six passengers, and at times more were crowded in. The fare averaged two hundred dollars one way. Two hundred dollars in eighteen sixty money would be the equivalent of five thousand dollars in twenty fourteen money. Oh, bar! And, and it that was six hundred. So much going cross country. <laughs> yes, it was a six hundred hour trip. Oh my god! Cool. And you couldn't really get off the stage because if you got got off, you'd lose your place. Like, you may not have room on the next one. So it was a very long trip. I'm putting in the show notes uh, a map of the route through Texas, and I've put uh, the locations of Camp Cooper and Fort Quitman where Robert may have been stationed. Cool. Thanks. So check out the notes if you want to see that information. Cool. Slippery Dan is at the gem. He's been banished from the number 10. Tom Nuttall is speaking to Al. Tom wants to know what this dispute with Seth portends and if it's been resolved. Al doesn't know, but his ribs hurt. Silas's friend Hawkeye walks in. Silas demands to know why he's late. Hawkeye was late because he was being a good Samaritan. He stopped to help some stranded sisters. Which maybe uh, it might mean nuns, because in the subtitles, sisters was capitalized. But Oh. Hmm. Silas tells Hawkeye, don't be late again, and Al's like, ooh, severe reprimand, watch out, you're so tough. Is this the guy who was, like, mostly silent last time we saw him? Yeah. He's got lots to say this time. Oh, he does. Yeah, in my notes I've got, like, Dan goes after someone he can hit, because he can't hit Silas. (laughs) Exactly. Dan gives Silas the stank eye. Dan is being uh, quite disputatious. 
He goes over to Hawkeye's table and insinuates that Hawkeye and Silas fuck each other out on the trails and amuse themselves with their little fucking funnies, and Hawkeye says, well, we do laugh about you. Then he tackles Dan, but it doesn't go well because Dan throws Hawkeye on the ground and starts wailing on him. That was hilarious, where he just flips right over. <laughs> yeah. Silas wants to intervene, but Al shakes his head, don't you dare. Slippery Dan is very amused by this country ass kicking, which angers Silas. So Silas, he can't attack Dan, but he can't attack poor Slippery Dan. He picks Slippery Dan up and impales him on some antlers. Yeah. Yeah. Now, was that on purpose? Uh, I would say so. The death part, I mean? Probably. He was angry. He was very angry. Yeah, that's the next line. So Silas kills a guy he can kill. <laughs> Al fires around into the ceiling and points the shotgun at Dan, and Dan whimpers, You love Silas more than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just great. Yeah. And then he runs away. I felt so bad for Dan right here. I really did. I wanted he, to hug him. <laughs> Does anyone feel bad for Slippery Dan? <laughs> no. He got his friend killed. That's true. <laughs> he didn't deserve this. I, I haven't forgiven him for getting his friend killed. Bummer Dan? Bummer Dan, yep. I was wrong. A big Bummer Dan fan? This was no, but, but it, it, nobody wanted to kill Bummer Dan. And the thing is, like, what's his face over at the number 10 was like, we really didn't want him to be the one dead. Like, nobody wants to kill Bummer Dan. So, Slippery Dan, yeah, he, he wasn't able to slip out of this one. Matt, you say this is a conspiracy to remove all other Dans from the... Camera? Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Wait, is that going to happen on the podcast? Uh-oh, which Matt is going to go out first? <laughs> well, who do you think is <laughs> Who do you think is uh more uh necessary for the podcast? I I would think the one that actually does all the work. <laughs> yeah, who, who's more expendable? Hey, come on. Plus we know that Mel has been angling to to kill Matt for some time. This is true. This is true. You two are in it together, aren't you? We're in cahoots. Matt, change your name quick. You'll be safe if you just pick a new name. Yeah. Mel's going to pick you up and impale you on some antlers. No, no. Oh, no. There's some in the house somewhere. Actually, I was just going to say. I have a problem with that. <laughs> I was going to say, you're in Canada. There's got to be antlers somewhere. Yeah, there's got to be some somewhere. If not, just go to the local Irving. Boom. Yeah. Antlers. But I've never seen Ir <laughs> antlers in an Irving, but okay. Oh, the the big stop in uh, just outside Fredericton, it's got like all sorts of moose and deer heads and all. And there's a, a, a canoe outside and and there's a bear and a beaver rowing the canoe. <laughs> what? Yeah, a lot of the big I've stops, they've got that. like crazy stuff. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I want to do a bracket game like Robin is doing with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where we could pit, like, Slippery Dan versus Bummer Dan and the Titty Licker versus the Pussy Sniffer and... <laughs> well, anytime Mel's in there, uh, everybody else loses because she's, she's murderous and she will kill everyone. Although, would Mel versus Real Dan, that would be an interesting fight. Hmm. Mm. Do you think you could take Dan, <laughs> Mel? I don't know. Do you guys think I could take him? I think he's a big crybaby. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think you could because you're, you're more like, I'll plot it. Whereas he's more, I'm only going to, you know, act if I'm emotional. Yeah, maybe. 
He's he's warm blooded murder. You're cold blooded murder. <laughs> and take that as a compliment, please. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so here's an interesting line. Uh, Silas says, "If Kate Hog Ranch is part of this story, and then and fucking that half breed, go ahead and try me." So I try to look this up. Who Kate Hog Ranch is, and all I could find out is that. There was a woman named Ellen Watson who ran a hog ranch in Wyoming, hog ranch being slang for brothel. Watson was nicknamed Cattle Kate because she called herself Kate Maxwell, and if a cowhand had no cash, the frontier madam was alleged to accept stolen cattle as payment. So Ellen called herself Kate. She took cattle. They called her Cattle Kate. She ran a a hog ranch. Kate Hog Ranch? Maybe? That's the best I could find. (laughs) Ow. I like using cattle as currency. Pass me a couple couple cows. I got some in my pocket here. Here you go. Three cows for a whore? Yeah. That seems like a, that seems like a lot of cows. Mm-hmm. I I just did a, a, a big, and I haven't read it all yet, but I just did a Google search, and I found um, Deadwood Magazine. Do you know of this, Matt? I've seen it. Uh, Girls of the Gulch. Yeah, is the name of the column, and it's a rose by any other name, and it talks about Kate, Katie, and all this other stuff. And there is Hog Ranch in here somewhere, but I haven't read the whole thing. But I just I laughed at that. I'm like, Deadwood Magazine, Girls of the Gulch. What? Is this like a regular feature? <laughs> <laughs> it's like the centerfold. <laughs> I don't want a centerfold from those days. Because Cattle Kate's customers were cattle rustlers, the scourge of cattle ranchers in the area, both Kate and her husband, Jim Averell, were strung up. She was the first woman lynched in the Wyoming Territory. Mm. And I believe she's the third woman in the West to have been hanged. The other two were murderers. Mm. So, um, I did see that in, in this article, though, it does say that uh, whorehouse was never used and never actually written until... 1982, uh, best little whorehouse in Texas. There was always something else that they used. Uh, ran- hog ranch, chicken ranch, all those things were known, uh, to give the cowboys a clue of what they were gonna go into, but they never called them whorehouses, which, uh, I thought was interesting. I didn't know that that's, you know, not something that was said until modern times. Hmm. hmm. Bunny ranch. I think it's yes, one. Bunny Ranch is the current one. Yeah, there's one of those in New York. A legal one. HBO had a series called Cat House, which was about uh, a bunny ranch in, I want to say Nevada? Yeah, yeah. Well, because it's legal there, right? I think so. Yeah. So. This is a tangent, but on BBC America, they had a documentary about a, a woman who was this like little English granny. She was trying to get prostitution legalized. Nice. She thought it was the lesser of two evils, you know, mm-hmm. safer for the women if they could uh, have legal protection and uh, absolutely ac- access to health care and so forth. So she was trying to get all of her her little elderly friends to uh, sign a petition. That's great. Well, because legalizing it is all about de-pimping. Uh, once you remove the pimps and the middlemen and the people and those people, that that's the whole uh point behind a lot of the political movements to make it legal is if we remove that person there's so many other things that can happen um in this article by the way uh, apparently um using the name their popular female names uh were just used to mean like madams and kate and katie and kitty were normal for you to mean a madam so 
Kate and, Hogg Ranch would be Madam Whorehouse. <laughs> so I think what Silas is saying to Hawkeye is, did you stop at a brothel and fuck some Native American woman? Because he says half-breed. Right. And he's like, no, I stopped to help some stranded nuns or something. Sweet <laughs> <laughs> sense now. Yeah, I, I I wasn't up to no good. I was up to, you know, I was pretty pious. I was being a Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. As he starts chatting up some other... Whore. Yeah, then he sits down with a whore. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your story? Yeah, I just saved some nuns. How about you, sweetheart? <laughs> yeah, it's possible Kate Hog Ranch is not an actual person, but slang for a madam. Yeah, like a euphemism. But, or it could have been this woman that they're referencing, although that was in Wyoming and a little bit later. But who knows? I wish I could talk to the author of this episode because uh, mm. I have some questions. Jane tells Seth and Charlie about a Finnish fella from Finland who brought her flowers and thought she had a cock, which he professed to wanting to suck. <laughs> Charlie's ears are still ringing. He missed the punchline. <laughs> <laughs> Seth has to go, no, 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 don't go yet. Don't go yet. Jane wants to know what's this all about, and when jo- when Charlie tells her, she's like, "That limey cocksucker, go get the weapons so we can go get him." <laughs> Charlie sighs. All right, we delayed this long enough. I love how Jane's like, "Oh, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> Let's go." Wonder <laughs> if Charlie's got tinnitus. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Map. Map. Sorry, <laughs> Archer reference. <laughs> well, this is only a couple. Hours later, yeah, yeah, it might two go- weeks. Two weeks for us, yeah, but two it, hours for them. You do real- you realize that he was faking it again, though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Charlie's just trying to calm things down. You know, you might say that Charlie. I mean, he may have really prevented some violence here because he's kept Seth away from Al for a couple hours. That's allowed everyone to be in a better place when they finally confronted each other. So yeah. 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 Silas delivers Slippery Dan's corpse to Woo's pig pen. $5 charge. Though I don't remember what Bummer Dan looked like. I like to think that he was he was saying in, in the previous episode, before you feed Bummer Dan to the pigs, I want to autopsy him. And then he was autopsying him. And I kind of like the, um, the, the poeticness of Bummer Dan and Slippery Dan ending up in the same pig pen. Yeah. Did I hear him right say that he had encephalitis? And that he was being fed to the pigs with encephalitis. Ooh. Yeah, that's the only thing. If it was something else, maybe it wasn't Bummer Dan. I thought you said insightfulitis. I was like, what kind of a disease is that? He just can't <laughs> stop spouting insight and being all wise. And... <laughs> Did you really think that? <laughs> well, I thought she said that at first, and, I, and then I'm like, what would that disease be? And then I just pictured it. <laughs> I'm sorry, my mind's wandering. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. No, well, I'm just I'm following you there and it's like What else wow. would insightfulitis be? Yeah, insightfulitis, <laughs> you know? That makes sense to me. <laughs> That's okay. I read Googled in, in an old timey news story, so <laughs> But yeah, I mean was was somebody with encephalitis being fed to the pigs? Heard it again. <laughs> <laughs> Encephalitis. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure on that. So that could be really bad. Yeah, that was my. It was like, 
because I could have sworn I heard the doc say say that and then say something like watery brain or something yeah, like that. Yeah, wet, mm-hmm. wet brain. Wet brain. So yeah, I was like, what? What are these pigs gonna be doing in their lives? Because or after their deaths? They're they're gonna be food. Yeah, I I mean I assume so unless they're very special pigs. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's one thing you guys keep talking about. You keep talking about what, who's going to eat these pigs and, and what's that going to do? And it's like a ticking time bomb waiting for something really bad to happen. Yeah. And I mean, they did, you know, there was no FDA or anything. Nope. I remember, um, this is going to go on way back, but there was an episode of Little House on the Prairie where somebody had had diseased animals and they, Mm -hmm tried to, they had uh, killed them and butchered them and tried to sell them off fast before anybody knew that they had been sick. And as a result, people were getting sick and were, were uh, I think a couple of people died. And so they were having to track down this, this you know, problem and this meat. And it's like, yeah, if your neighbors are the ones selling you, you know, meat and stuff, uh, there was nobody inspecting anything. Yep. I remember that episode. Do you? It made yeah. a big impression on me. Because I yeah. don't remember any of the episodes. It makes me think of the X-Files episode, Our Town. Good people, good food. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's people. Just reading about this uh, condition, it's something you find in chronic alcoholics, and it causes memory loss, permanent brain damage, a unique form of psychosis known as Karsakoff psychosis, inability to learn new information, retain information... So which Dan had this? I think it must have been Bummer Dan. Oh, poor Bummer Dan. He really got the raw end of the deal. Inability to learn new information would be uh, good for staying home from school. I can't come to, I can't come to school. I've got encephalitis. <laughs> it would be I'm not useless. Learn anything. <laughs> it would be a useless endeavor. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't retain anything. <laughs> but in the previous episode, didn't Seth say to? Slippery Dan and also Harry Manning, the bartender, box him and see that he's buried. Mm. As you said, the docs is saying about before you feed him to the pigs, and we had a discussion about why would they need to feed him to the pigs? Everybody knew he was dead. It wasn't a... Okay, it might be a different person. Uh, the quote from Doc is, Tell Wu that that drunk better not get ate by his pigs until after I've had my way with the corpse. He doesn't say doesn't necessarily say that that drunk is Bummer Dan. But again, I kind of like the idea that both of these friends end up in the pig pen together. Yeah, which would make sense in the in the show. The you know, show has a tendency to want to do irony and stuff. Hawkeye is up and walking around. Silas says, "Keep up." Well, Hawkeye says, "Anything else I can do for you, boss?" And Silas says, "Keep up." And I had a thought here. I don't know if this, if you guys interpreted it this way, that after Hawkeye was late and Silas kind of uh, admonished him for being late. And then Al was like, Oh, ooh, you're so scary. Could Hawkeye have provoked Dan in so that he got that beating as a way of allowing Silas to be more, I don't know, take charge or something. Yes. Like I took, I took the beating for you because also Silas pats Hawkeye on the back and is like, you're okay, pal. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I don't, it? I don't think so. Hmm, okay. I mean, Dan. Dan seemed like he took his opportunity. He'd been, he'd been wanting to, to beat on Silas, 
he couldn't beat on Silas, so he took the opportunity because he went over there and started the fight. Yeah, but Hawkeye attacked him. The the physical was, attack just, came from Hawkeye. Yeah, but I, you know, there was something that somebody said at one point. They were talk, asking about you know fighting and stuff, and the guy said, honestly, in my experience, won by the first person who hits hard and harder than any you know as hard as they can. And so I'm guessing that Dan is trying to start a fight. Hawkeye knows it's going to be a fight, and he just wanted to get his best shot in and hope that he could win it. When Hawkeye comes to the pig pen, though, he is, um, he says, anything else I can do for you? Yeah. That almost makes it sound like he, he did volunteer to take this beating for some reason. Okay. But maybe, anyway, I was just, I was wondering if anyone else read that sentence that way. So I'm trying to figure out why else he would have said that. I, I mean, the only thing I can think is that he's still trying to get back in Silas's good graces. Because he, I mean, he did embarrass Silas by being late. Does he work for Al, or does he work for Silas? I think he's, uh, he works for Silas. Yeah, I think so. And then Silas, Silas works for Al. <clears throat> but Silas is a sort of freelancer at this point. Yeah. Okay. Independent contractor. And uh, Hawkeye's like an intern. <laughs> Dan is crying in his room. Oh, he's such a big baby. Al pointed the gun at him. Not his precious Adams. Al says, but I warned you to stop so I didn't have to shoot you. Okay. Hmm. Also, did you see the way that Silas walked away after he impaled that guy instead of impaling him twice like you and I would have done? <laughs> he's such a pussy. <laughs> like... Again, this logic is questionable. <laughs> I love this. This is one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> and Al tells Dan, whatever comes our way, we'll face it together. So Dan wipes his tears away, and he'll send Dolly up to look after Al. I just, I love, I just, this logic here. Oh, he, see, he only impaled the guy once. He's a weakling. What? No, what? It's Dan logic. Yeah. Al knew how to cheer him up, and he was like, yeah. I'm going to cheer him up the way that Dan can understand, and I love this. Al Swearingen in this last part is like does a tour de force of saying the right thing to different people to get them to do what he wants them to do. Yep. He, he recognizes that there is a rift between these two guys. He knows that he needs them both for different reasons, and He's able to make sure that they both feel okay. And, and he, you know, he's not going to go into Silas and make him feel better like he does with Dan. He only does it to Dan because he cares about him. <laughs> right. And and he let Dan um, beat on Hawkeye to get some of the aggravation out and, some of, and everything. But yeah. he couldn't let him kill him. Yeah. Because Hawkeye's actually valuable and he's Silas's guy. So... And nobody cares about Slippery Dan, so it's all good. Yeah, nobody cares about. I do. Oh, I kind of like. I kind of like Slippery Dan. (laughs) I like how into into the fight he got. Woo wee! A fight! A country (laughs) ass again! Woo wee! Yeah, he didn't have much judgment. That guy. No, but I feel bad for drunks that don't have good judgment. It's like (laughs) you can't expect. What do you expect? I mean, you're serving alcohol. To, to drunks, they act ridiculous. They act foolish. It's kind of kind of on you too for serving them and keeping them in your business. Don't don't get angry when they get mouthy. Oh, well, Al wasn't angry with him. 
you know. And I still think Silas was just looking for somebody to take his anger out on just the way at Dan for beating on Hawkeye, just the way Dan was taken out on Hawkeye because he couldn't beat on Silas. And that's why I feel bad for Slippery Dan because he didn't know how to read the room. Right. Yeah. And yet he had been living in this world for so long where, you know, life was very close to death anytime you're around these people. And he still is, like, totally oblivious. Well, Carol hates Slippery Dan. No, I don't. (laughs) Slippery Dan's just dumb. Now you're going to go off and make a whole story about how I hate Slippery Dan, right? <laughs> That's okay. I hate Slippery Dan, so Carol doesn't have to take it in this one because I still <laughs> right. hate Slippery okay, Dan. Okay, so Mel, you break the tie. <laughs> if I hate her, him or not? Yeah, thumbs up or thumbs down on Slippery different. Dan. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I don't hate him, but I, I don't like the guy. Well, I don't like him know. either. I just feel a little bad for him because he's such a putz. Yeah, I, yeah understandably. I don't he think got his friend cut. killed. He got his friend killed. He's a dangerous cut. But he said uh, he admitted it was the worst joke he's ever played. Yeah. Which makes it okay. No. <laughs> uh, oh, these people are just so funny. <laughs> How can there be so many characters in this one town? <laughs> and we don't even have um, Uncle Billy. Oh, yeah. Apparently he's the worst. He was so bad that they were going to take up a collection to send him out of the camp or out of the country. Yeah, I love how I love how there's nothing else to be done. They mentioned, don't they? Didn't they mention they had a jail when the when they put the one mm-hmm. woman in it? But a guy hitting a, another person in the face with a club for no reason—they can't stick him in jail. They've got to well, because it's not illegal. You can't. You can't. It can't be illegal to hit kids. I mean, come on. They're just kids. With, I think the first one was an adult, wasn't it? Was the it kid, okay? Yeah, the first one was an adult, and the second one was a kid. The kid Again. He, almost stu- he almost killed. Yes, but the the drunk woman who is uh, drunker than bo- boiled oil—that that's a real crime. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't say that she was put in jail for for being drunk. It was, she was just sleeping it off in jail. Maybe she mm. was put there for her own protection or. Something. Well, they said she made a ruckus, and then they said that she had to be in surgery. So I'm wondering how big a ruckus that might have been mm. what a ruckus what the definition of a ruckus was in Deadwood at that point a rumpus on the streets there we go <laughs> which is probably ruckus not rumpus oh it could have been a rumpus I guess yeah but yeah well and and Uncle Billy couldn't be in the jail cell because she was in the jail cell <laughs> I don't think it happened at the same time <laughs> be uh, funny if it did though no, no. So she's like uh, Lindsay Lohan, let let out of jail early because it was overcrowded. <laughs> yeah, that was when 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 Illyria was reading that. It was like, okay, so you can't figure out anything else to do with this guy who's going around hitting people, but but uh, get him out of camp. It's not like he hasn't broken the law. He's, he's well, actually, law. but he didn't because nobody nobody was dead and was assault an a, a, an illegal thing back then. I think so. I just want there to be little orange boxes and on, on bars that, like UNICEF, where it's put in money for Uncle Billy's deportation. <laughs> <laughs> and just leave your gold dust here if, if you want to support the cause of getting rid of Uncle Billy. <laughs> and I have to wonder if he was called Uncle Billy because he hit people with a club. 
Oh. Yeah. Or I maybe the Billy Club became the Billy that's... Club because it was named after Uncle Billy. That. Uh-huh. Yeah. I I like your other idea that they was named Uncle Billy because he's the people of the club. <laughs> I I hadn't thought of that. That's cool. We have to, we have to look up when the term Billy Club uh, was first used. Cause yes. Maybe, I think it's pretty long ago. When pretty- uh when when you read all these different articles, by the way, I mean, the actual people that lived in Deadwood really were a cast of characters, and it's not a surprise that there's so many interesting characters on the show. And I think a lot of that has to do with you know when you said well, how can there be so many? It's like it was a gold rush. Yeah. So you had to be a little a little off to drop everything you were doing and just run to this town as fast as you could and just start panning for gold. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the rich, get rich quick crowd and, and, uh, and then you had took that crowd and got them very disappointed and very drunk. And, uh, yeah, you're going to end up with some, an odd group of people. Yeah. At the hotel, Alma confesses to Miss Isringhausen, she used to be a laudanum addict, but caring for Sophia has brought her freedom to do anything that might hurt Sophia, even out of love for Seth. The selfishness of that? It's a thought that makes her too afraid. Sophia probably doesn't even realize this fact that she helped her out of her addiction. No, I wouldn't think so. I get kudos for doing nothing but existing. (laughs) Sophia had enough she was dealing with right then. She had just lost yeah. her family and didn't know how to speak the language that was all around her. Do we think that Alma's going to get out of that hotel this season? <laughs> <laughs> she's been, think about it, it's been almost a year and she's still in that hotel room. She she got out for dinner once. No, I know she's been Is out she... of the room, but she's still mm-hmm. living out of the room. Oh, yeah, I don't I don't see her getting her own place. Seth should that would be scandalous. Yeah, I don't see her getting out of there either. Because if she got a if she got a house of her own, she'd need a man. You can't have a house with a without a man. Maybe she could use that gold to um, I don't know. Just buy the hotel. Buy a buy a place and live there. Buy the hotel. I mean, there were there were women who had their own homes, but usually it was because they were widows and you know their daughters or something like that, and their you know the family home had passed to them, but. It it does seem a little odd for a a uh, single woman to buy a house, even with having a daughter at that time. Yeah, like it, if she had a husband away, she could she could be living in a house that he had set up for her. But to actually go out and buy one, mm. yeah, it's a little odd. It, I mean, it could be done, you know. Yeah. I mean, legally, she could buy a house because she's not married. If she'd been married, she couldn't buy a house by herself. She should have had Seth build one for her. Her. <laughs> yeah, he makes good houses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the first recorded uh, use of the word Billy Club is in 1848, um, used for slang for burglar's crowbar, um, but eventually it became uh, synonymous with a policeman's club. Okay, so the, the, it came before Uncle Billy. Yeah. Although that's the first written. Right? Yes, that's the first written, yep. So it could have been in... in- verbal slang use for a long time before that. Yeah, which which I would expect it to be if it was written down to be used for a burglar's crowbar. Yeah. 
Johnny tells Dan he was very impressed by Silas and paling Slippery Dan on those antlers. And Dan says, oh, please, if I had done it or Al had done that, we would have impaled them twice. (laughs) (laughs) That was hysterical. I love this parroting of Al's words back at Johnny. (laughs) Dan is very cocky now. Yeah, he he really has now has something to hang on to. He really took Al's words to heart. So funny. Upstairs, Dolly is massaging Al's anus with her thumb. The pain is immense, but he's afraid to call on the doc because the doc will only ask after his gleats. He asks, what's pouring out of my ass now? Ugh. Nothing. Okay, you can close the ass flap. So, uh, so is this a different problem than the urinary problem? Is she trying to get him to pee? (laughs) I don't know much about men's health problems, but, I mean, are we dealing with prostate here? Yeah, I I was confused. I wasn't sure if she was doing it for pleasure or what. No, it was not for pleasure. It was for men. Oh, no. Yeah, she was massaging something. Hmm. I wasn't sure whether... Prostate. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether she was trying to, you know, whether it was a, like, enema-like situation where she was up there so he could you know go oh uh, maybe if if it if it if it's blocked by the stones through number one maybe he can relieve himself through number two is that maybe the idea i have no idea huh? so maybe how could you what something? you're saying he would pee himself through his well throat? no liquid liquid can remove itself through your bowels instead yeah, i mean like you you expel your- liquid somehow right <laughs> But you can't pee through your anus. That no, you don't pee through your anus, but it, you know, liquid goes. You don't? Towards, oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us more. I've been doing it you wrong. Know, don't say that. That brought up a whole mental <laughs> image I didn't need. Um, no, but I was thinking, you know, if, if you've got, um, you know, cause there's still moisture that's leaving, right? So maybe it'll go. Instead of it going out of the intestine one way, it'll go out of the intestine another way. I don't know. Well, Maybe. I didn't know whether he was having trouble um, going both ways. You know what mm. I mean? And at first, before before they talked about her thumb actually being up there, I was like, okay, is she, she giving him like an enema or anything to help him, you know, go? Uh, then when the and all, I started wondering, like, are we dealing with a prostate here, or are we, you know? Yeah. Or is it just he's all blocked up and he doesn't know? He's just trying all kinds of things to try and get... Moira, we need your uh, medical expertise. Yeah, we need to know if you can, like, you know, pee through your anus or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I said. (laughs) Or we need to know what what may be uh, Al's problem here. Di- diagnose Al's condition and tell us why you thumb up the ass might alleviate his condition. Mm-hmm. I can't even find like anything that says why they would use like maybe this was an old medical practice, but I can't find it. You know? Yeah. There's... What? Why you would stick your thumb up somebody's ass? Yes. Uh, outside of you know pleasurable experiences for some, like what what medical purpose does this have? Um, I don't know. Yeah, they ha- they were doing all kinds of stuff. My mom. Will- sometimes talks about what they put her through when she was a kid. Um, you know, she was, she was a kid in the thirties and, uh, they did some really awful stuff for any number of things, whether it was acne or 
or anything else. You've got acne. This acid should help. Yeah. It yeah. Just, this thumb should help. All kinds, of, all kinds of awful stuff that they they would put, you know, people through. Yeah, it's 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 weird the stuff that they would do. Like, uh, if you ever watch Call the Midwife, like they're giving them enemas all the time right before delivering, and I'm like, what? No, oh, leave them alone. They're already in pain. <laughs> yeah. Um, all I could think is that there must be some sort of obs- obstruction, in uh, and yeah. the massaging alleviates it. But not this time. Yeah. Well, okay, I'm looking at a diagram on happymassage.com. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it says that this is a, a, a something that's practiced in, in ancient Chinese medicine, so maybe this is where it came from. But the diagram has the finger going in, and it's pressing on the prostate, but the prostate pushes into the bladder, so maybe she's trying uh-huh. to get at the bladder from behind? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, can so. you post that on the Facebook group, please? Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no cat, no captions, uh, no, no description necessary. Just po- post for fun. <laughs> and make I'm sure so... your name is connected with it. Yeah. Well, obviously. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> I enjoy posting things on the Facebook uh, group that we've referenced during our podcast that I have yet to release the podcast on. So people I know. Wonder, Every now and then there's something I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, and then why I is listen. this? <laughs> yeah. The, oh, hoe cakes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the next question is, if if this is something that apparently has been done before, and he, and, but now it's painful, mm. you know, what's causing that that kind of pain? Yeah. And that's why I was wondering about the prostate. But if well, you're saying the prostate would push against the bladder, could mm. be like a bladder infection or something. I think she just needs to cut her nails. <laughs> Ew, I just thought about that though. Like, I bet they're not <laughs> trimmed and I bet they're not clean and they're going, oh. And I'll bet they're not clean when they come back out. And well, no, but she does. Yeah, later on when she throws uh, Seth's hat back to him, I'm like, ew, she had. Oh, food. she didn't go to the bathroom to wash. She didn't go to the chamber pot or, or whatever. Oh my gosh. Hey, ew, ew, ew. No, Seth. He's got mm. poop on his hat, just like the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he caught his hat so that it wouldn't land in the shit that's on the ground, but it's no avail, really. Fecal matter oh, yes. What her hands must smell like. <laughs> Website, uh, when it gets to internal prostate massage, it says, uh, as in the case with external prostate massage, internal prostate massage also requires your nails to be trimmed and scrupulously clean. Is that what that says? It does. It says oh it right God. there. <laughs> that is why. Dolly. She's probably infecting him. Oh, I don't think Dolly so... is scrupulous about anything. No, I don't think there's a clean thing in the gem. Are you kidding me? Oh. No, it's true. It's true. Oh. That is it so is true. Why am I reading this? Oh my God, this is horrible. <laughs> Stick with us. You'll read only the best stuff. <laughs> I, I can't look away. I'm just, I'm still reading it. This is horrible. <laughs> oh no! It's so bad for you guys. <sighs> I'm going to uh, give a like to Nutty's post on the Facebook group. <laughs> and and uh, I'm going to pretend that this thumbs up is Dolly's thumb. <laughs> oh. Oh. 
So <laughs> apparently the need for, for prostate massages for erectile dysfunction. Oh. Uh-huh. Trixie reports to Saul that Seth, Charlie, and Jane are approaching the gem. She understands the appeal of wanting to die, but taking others with him, Saul, despite his dulled faculties, gets up. This is going the same way as the previous episode. Like they'll start yep. converging. Yep. Very similar. I was like, somebody's going to die this time. I really liked the the way that um, Al came out to the balcony and just ordered um, Seth wait, and then immediately afterwards, Trixie came out and ordered wait. <laughs> so we get a not a blow jabalog, but a blow liloquy where Al <laughs> explains what's uh, what's going on. His thinking here is a little complicated, so bear with me. But as he's getting his prick sucked by Dolly, he hears Seth and Jane call him out from down below. Al has five minutes to bring Seth's gun and badge down. Al rattles off his concerns. He doesn't know Seth's mind. Seth might be big in Montana. He's, he's confused by Yankton appointing those commissioners. There's telegraph poles going up. Some random horse showed up on a stagecoach earlier. Maybe Seth feels like he's failed, so he wants to be executed. A quick, easy way out. He gets to save face. Maybe that's how Al has been feeling. The intricacies of camp politics are hurting his brain so much that he picked a fight with Seth because it was easy, even if it was irrational. So Al goes out on the balcony and he tells Seth to wait. Seth wishes Charlie and Jane had let him handle things alone. Trixie gives Saul a gun and then she aims a gun at the gem. Ain't nobody going to be shooting her, man. Then Merrick gets his pen and notepad out. I I was wondering who she was actually aiming at. Mm. I wasn't so I was Anybody who goes after Saul. Is yeah. who I think. Even Al? I actually got the feeling she was Even aiming Al. at Seth at that point. Mm. Well, she does not like Seth. <laughs> no, she does not like Seth. Selfish. She thinks he's selfish. I, I think she definitely want, wanted to make sure that Saul was okay, but also that Al's okay. Mm-hmm. I believe in this blow-liloquy that Al is saying so much of what's happening in the camp is just overwhelming him. Yeah. And... Seth probably feels the same way. So they're of two minds about this. So they fight each other because they don't know who else who else is the real enemy. It's easier to pick squabbles and with, you know, your friends than actually figure things out. Yeah. And now that Al has kind of realized that, he's kind of willing to make a peace, a truce. And interestingly enough, when this started, he was feeling overwhelmed and picked a fight with Seth. And at this point, and Seth really wasn't. I mean, he was just totally, you know, enamored. Construct. With, yeah. <laughs> and now he is overwhelmed and was ready to pick a fight back or continue a fight with Al. And, uh, and so they've kind of switched places. Yeah. Al emerges from the gem dressed holding Seth's gun and badge. He apologizes for the delay and the smell. He hopes Seth will wear these for a long time to come, no matter whose thumb they're under. <clears throat> yeah. That's a reference to Dolly. <laughs> yeah. Reverend Smith, before he was found on the road, murdered by heathens, said, Mr. Bullock raised a camp up, and I hope he'll reside with us and improve our general fucking atmosphere for a good long fucking time, even with the personal complications and fucking disasters that we all fucking have. And where, by running away, solves absolutely fucking nothing. Seth says, did you find my hat? Okay, two things. 
One, I very much doubt that the reverend said fucking like five times in one paragraph. Mm. And the second thing is that I like this bit of retcon here of history. Al Mercy killed the reverend last season, but now he's blaming it on the Indians. And that's how our history ends up recording it. Because in real life, the real reverend Smith was supposedly found dead on the road, killed by Indians. Yeah, that's what I thought I remembered you saying. So, yeah, that's how that happens, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. According to this. I think that's brilliant. Al is rewriting history. I think this is awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he's giving the Reverend a, a better end so that... And again, I, I talked about how when he mercy kills him, it's because he really... He, he's compassionate for the man. And I think this is way uh, Al's way of giving him a better end because... He Al doesn't think anyone should have to live through that, let alone be remembered for that. He didn't want the Reverend to be remembered as the guy who couldn't look at you straight-eyed and was having seizures and was no longer in control of himself. He wanted people to remember him as he was. And so I give I give it Al credit for this this little lie. This lie, this agreed upon lie. <laughs> exactly. This yeah. If you didn't say it, I was gonna. <laughs> yep. Lie agreed upon. Dolly tosses the hat down, and Al makes a joke about her aim. He goes back inside the gym. Sorry, Jane, you're not going to get your your fight. It was a pretty good throw. <laughs> I yeah, it was a good, th- really good throw. Went right to him. Kind of like and a I, And I like that Al said, would it be demeaning if she threw it down? Yeah, I like that he checked first. He's really that trying to avoid a fight. Yeah. Though I did, I did feel like there was just a touch of sarcasm there. Just a touch. Mm-hmm. Like he was he was trying yeah. to hold in. Well, he can't he can't be entirely, you know, subservient yeah. to Seth. He's yeah, gotta still be Al. Yeah, I got the feeling it was a little bit of a tweak. Like, you know, Seth is being so like such a proper sort of a almost like he's ready for a duel or something. He's just out of place in that that spot. Alma hands Miss Isringhausen a pocket watch and tells her to return it to Mr. Bullock. Then she goes into Sophia's room and strokes her hair. When did um, she get that pocket watch? I don't know. He left it there during sex time sometime. I would assume. Um, I had I had one question, actually. Like, Seth was totally going to Al looking for a fight. Do you think he was hoping not to have to make the decision about Alma and that this would settle it? Do you think he had a death wish? Seemed like it. Hmm. I don't know whether he had a death wish or he just wanted an outlet for everything, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was a piece of him who felt like if he has that fight, he either gets some of this frustration and anger at the situation out or he doesn't have to ever worry about it again because he's dead. So I wouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. if he thought it was a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. Al seems to think that Bullock has a death wish. Yeah. Because he says, uh, my penalty if I don't comply is that he walks into the bar and takes 15 bullets into the chest. Yeah. My penalty is that he, that I have to kill him. He wants to, he wants to die for some reason and calls him a, uh, fucking strategist <laughs> and one of those special fucking cases. Sounds like Elma's not running away with Seth. So they're going to break up, huh? Yeah. Is this I don't the think end that's... of Salma? I don't think that's going to last. I wouldn't be surprised if they spend the entire season with, you know, the tension and really making it, you know, strong, but... 
Merrick wants to interview Seth. Seth doesn't want to talk about it. He never wants to talk about anything. Nobody ever gives him any stories. I feel bad for Merrick. Not as bad as he feels for himself. <laughs> also, Trixie's looking really great in this dress with that holding that rifle, and she's got another gun between her breasts. She does look like yeah, a that badass. was hot. She's looking like quite the badass. I felt that her boobs were really squished though in that dress. <laughs> <laughs> they she are. looked very comfortable. <laughs> Just saying. It was they were above the dress, so yeah. I mean above the corset. Didn't look comfy. No, it never does when women wear those. At the Chazami, Elmer has finished moving furniture around and has earned two bucks. He wants to be paid in pussy, but Joni says you're getting paid in cash because two bucks at the Chazami only gets you a whiff walking past. Elmer says, can I have the two bucks and get the whiff? <laughs> and Joni's like, sure. Bargain well struck. Rosie fan summit Elmer, who enjoys this immensely. He's in vigor. <laughs> Maddie informs Joni that a rodent-looking creature is lurking outside, and Joni says, don't worry about it, that's just the mayor. Oh, man, I wish, <laughs> I wish the mayor of every town was, like, skulking about, like, spying on everyone. No, I don't. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Yeah, be careful what you say. I mean, let's think about some uh, notable Canadian mayors. Come on. <laughs> I, I really don't want Rob Ford skulking around, thank you very no. much. <laughs> So, so is Joni like having a a whorehouse where there will be no whoring going on? Is she basically like making a safe a uh, a safe house for whores? <laughs> like she doesn't actually no, want. Is she the Harriet Tubman of the whoring trade? <laughs> she indicated it was going to be in a very expensive house. Like prohibitively expensive on purpose. I no, doubt I that. think it's she's just got, she's got to make some money. It's her niche. Yeah, it's this is not you know a quick. Fuck, this is going to be, you're going to enjoy yourself, you're going to be catered to, and it's going to be a whole experience kind of a thing. And we're not just going to let anyone come in. You come in, you're going to have to be clean, you're going to have to pay the right wage, and yeah. There's probably a market for that uh, in this town, especially as the wealth is uh, well, being accumulated. But, and... will, but will they allow the titty liquor in there? Oh, no, you're I don't concerned so. about your friend the titty licker? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm sure he gets to lick titties. <laughs> Is he mm. an upstanding enough individual, though? Does he meet the standards of this establishment? I don't know. He does seem a bit nicer than the, like, he he seems more put together than the regular clientele at the gym. So he could be. You, you never know. Um, I think also there's there's got to be a market for people that, you know, are well to do and are like, I do not want to sleep with the same women that all the grubby men of this huh. town have been sleeping with. I, I only guess. want to sleep with classy women that classy men have slept with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The gem is like a one star brothel. The Bella Union's a two star and, and they're going at least three, if not four stars. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Four star. And I mean, it's a gold rush. There's a lot not everybody strikes anything, but every now and then you have somebody who strikes a lot. And uh, so there's money around. Yeah, I Alma. just think that the, <laughs> the camp is changing and people of means are coming in and mm-hmm. there's there's probably... You only need one or two who spend a lot to keep you afloat. So it's a difference of quality over quantity. Yeah. I'm I'm talking like I know the intricacies of uh, whoring. How many whorehouses have you run in your lifetime? <laughs> Three or four. 
She's a pro. I have a chain. What are they called? The honey bucket. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) At the gem, Merrick wants Al's account of what transpired. Al asks, does cunt have one N or two T's, or is it the other way around? (laughs) Merrick says, "I I gotta keep it clean, Al, within the limits of decency. Oh, you want the decent truth. Well, Merrick says, I don't believe that decency and truth need be at odds. Al wants to know how Merrick would spin white men ass-fucking the dirt worshippers. Merrick suggests maybe an elevated perspective would be white men er enacting manifest destiny. It's gross. uh, Yeah. I don't like you anymore, Merrick. Merrick is being the vulgar one in this this instance. Uh, Whitewashing genocide. Yep. Al says, all right, here's the story. The good citizens of Deadwood couldn't sleep easy tonight knowing that the tawdry saloon owner, Al Swearingen, was bested by the noble sheriff Bullock. Upright citizens can conduct their Christian commerce knowing that good triumphed over evil. And you can throw in some names of businesses that advertise in your paper. I love that. I love how Al thinks. (laughs) (laughs) Lies agreed upon. Mm Mm-hmm. Al's going to have to do some real ass-kicking soon because he's been, like... Cowing to everyone lately. <laughs> Who? Al? Yeah. Sheriff Bullock here and uh Cy earlier. But it's it's the all strategy. Booth. Yeah. Yeah, he's because he wants this it. in the paper because the whole everybody's from Yankton and, and he's got this idea that Seth Bullock is, is liked from Montana. So he wants Seth Bullock to be featured in the paper as as an advantage. For when right. things and get set up. Meanwhile, the people that are working for him have seen the fact that, you know, which one's people got hurt? Seth's people got hurt. Charlie yep. got hurt. Saul got hurt. Dan didn't get hurt. Cy didn't get hurt. You know. And they, they know that Al didn't kill Seth by his own choice. Like, he worked really hard not to kill Seth. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, like, different levels. I don't think Al necessarily cares what the populace thinks of him. As mm-hmm. long as the criminals know that he's dangerous. And that they need to be careful of him and do what he says. Yep. At the Bullock residence, Seth finds Martha still awake. He puts his gun in his gun safe, by which I mean a basket beside the child's bed. <laughs> I hope it's not loaded. He, yeah. He, wa- he wants William to see that he got it, got it back, when, he, when William wakes up. Seth has installed a bundling board in their bed. Martha hopes that he doesn't mind that she removed it. What is, what is that? I had to look that up uh, as soon as I watched this episode. I was like, wait a minute, what is that? So, um... I actually looked that up. It's it's an actual board that runs down the length of the bed so that for modesty. Uh back back then, you know, people didn't have a lot of extra space and so people would actually like allow themselves to sleep in the same bed with people they weren't married to and they would use bundling boards and then there was this whole other thing of bundling which was more than a board where the guy would be sewn into a sack. <laughs> And he couldn't get out of it. And if you saw the Patriot, um, Heath Ledger gets sewn into a sack so he can stay uh, at at this one house 
okay. with all propriety. Um, but that a lot of, a lot of couples would, uh, use a bundling board so there wasn't any, um, temptation. It was kind of like the idea of having, uh, twin beds so that mm-hmm. you, you would only really be tempted to do anything if you weren't, um, if, if you had a plan. So like, all right, we're going to have a child and that's the only reason why we should be having sex. So, so as not to be doing it for pleasure. There was also this whole thing about, um, bundling boards for, uh, people who were engaged so that they could have some, some bits of intimacy without actually going that far. And I guess there are some, and I use that in, in quotes because it's a small percentage, but some like Amish and Mennonite communities that still use them for, uh, those that are engaged. Um, especially if they're engaged to somebody from another community. Uh, although it's, it's really not a very popular custom at this time. <laughs> I want there to be different kinds of bundling boards. Like, w- like just, one's just solid. Next one has like one hole in it. Oh, and so like next you, one you, has you like work two your holes way up. In it. Yeah. You work your way up to no, to no board, but yeah. <laughs> gradually they start having more and more holes. If, if you Google it, um, you can see these really beautiful boards that people have made. So like it, it ends up looking really, really very nice. Um, but it was just such a weird thing. So then it made me realize, all right, so Seth, when he built the house, he installed a board, which means he may not have slept with this woman yet. No, he hasn't. I figured he had. You can tell it's so awkward. Between well, I, I don't know. It's been a while. I don't know. Maybe they no. did the, the night that they got married. Maybe they didn't. I mean, so technically yeah. aren't they not married? Well, the marriage has, if marriage hasn't been consummated, they're technically married unless, unless somebody went, you know, asked to have it annulled or whatever. Yeah, because it could be dissolved if they've never consummated. What is the Shakespearean times? (laughs) No, I mean back in this time. Really? Yeah, actually now. Yeah, I think even now, if, if you get married and you never have sex, you can get it annulled, and it counts as not happening. Yeah. In the Catholic Church, it hasn't happened, and actually in the non-religious, you know, the governmental um, licensing and all that stuff, you can have it annulled as well. Yep. You don't have to have a divorce. Yeah. yeah but I, can't, I can't see them having had sex if he put a bundling board up. I don't yeah. know. Be like an yeah. there. But yeah. up, until, up until this moment... We didn't really know whether when they first got married, they, you know. Yeah. I mean, they could have been together for, you know, weeks or months or, you know, probably not years, but they could have been together for a little while before he went off. But it sure does seem like they weren't. Yeah, last season I had the impression that they had lived together, so it it was never a question had they had sex before. Whereas this season with these two episodes, I'm like, eh, okay, maybe, maybe they didn't have sex because she was still grieving for her brother. And then he went away. And so, okay. But I kind of like how she's like, no, 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 I removed that. We're, we're married. We're going to try and make this work. And I understand that you're sleeping with someone, but we're going to try and make this work. And he's just like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wrote down that, uh, the wife is making her play. Yeah. She's, I think she's going to be a strong character. Yeah, yeah. It's like she's she is making you know she's making a stand to to uh, try and get 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 him. Mm-hmm. At the very least, she's trying to remove some of the awkwardness. 
Yeah. Well, she, we, we shall see. Is she removing some of the awkwardness or adding it on? Yeah, I, I, that's, I was wondering, too. I was thinking about it. It's like, oh. I think being in bed with a board between you is pretty awkward. Yeah, but he doesn't seem too pleased to have to go upstairs with her. He looks like he's being led to his death. <laughs> Bored or not, he would have felt the same way. Yeah. I also that. thought maybe I also thought maybe the the board was like for bundling a baby. And, That's what I thought. And I, was I like, thought she was ready to like you know I put thought, a baby on that board. I thought maybe <laughs> yeah you, you like put that you know just in case we have a baby and she's like uh no <laughs> removed <laughs> denied. That's what I thought. That's why I was so confused. <laughs> the uh, baby on a surfboard. But if you're used to. But if you're used to the concept, I would think that, I mean, of course, anything between them is going to be awkward because they don't know each other and they're married. But, I mean, if you're used to the concept of a bundling board, then it wouldn't have been as awkward as as if it was like something that was sprung on somebody from our time. It's like, okay, and, you know, I installed a bundling board. (laughs) It's like, I mean, I knew what one was, but still was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the way that they talked about it was just so matter-of-fact, like, of course people have these things, and it would be expected that we'd have a bundling board. Yeah, I mean, he was trying to be considerate of her. That, you was, know, she... Or was that it he was not himself? expecting sex from her. Yeah, but was it was that for her or for himself as well? I'm sure it was for himself as well, but, you know, if she didn't know about Alma, she would have definitely thought it was, you know, being respectful. So our very last thought comes from Al. A full fair-mindedness requires us to also report that within the gem on Deadwood's main thoroughfare, comely horrors, decently priced liquor, and the squarest games of chance in the hills remain unabatedly available at all hours, seven days a week. Yeah, gotta put in the ad. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, it's all about the money. Yep. Although, this episode made me realize just how much stuff is done at night in this town. I, the whole thing about everything happening, uh, so much stuff happening at night, it, it goes to this thing that I was reading a few years back that apparently during this time and earlier, because, you know, before the electric light, uh, people, we slept in different ways. So, like, people would sleep for a couple hours, then they would get up in the middle of the night, and there'd be, like, four hours that business would be conducted. You'd go to somebody's house for supper. You'd do all this other stuff. You'd come home. You'd take your second round of sleep. So you'd sleep for four hours. You'd be up for four hours. You'd sleep for another four hours and be up with dawn. Huh. And that apparently this this was a thing. And, and a lot of times when you're reading about people dining and visiting people after hours and things like that, it's it's after the first session of, that most people are sleeping. Huh. Yeah. I I knew that people um ate supper very late and like theater started late and all of that but I I didn't realize and I knew that sometimes uh upper class women would retire to rest in the afternoon and stuff people took naps but mm. I hadn't heard this this thing about 
basically splitting your sleep time up. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Yeah. They take power naps so they can go out clubbing later. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I had always thought that the, you know, the whole theater thing and all of that was because the upper classes could sleep late in the morning. But, huh, maybe it had to do more with this other thing. Well, let's uh, talk about your predictions. Last week, Carol, you predicted that Seth won't be able to give Alma up, but he'll try to find an accommodation in which he can keep their relationship going. Yeah, well, I was wrong, but I think it's going to happen later. Okay. Mel predicted lies, lies, and more lies agreed upon. (laughs) Seth and Alma will lie to themselves that they don't want to be together and break up. Am I right? It's not. It's kind of ambiguous if they kind of broke up or not. Mm. They broke <laughs> up, but not because they lied to themselves that they didn't want to be together. Just cause. no. Alma found some sort of clarity, and then decided to end the relationship. Yeah. Matt predicted that Seth and Alma will attempt to do the right thing and call off their relationship, but later they'll get back together. That's closer because Alma did attempt to do the right thing. Mm. Yeah. And called off the relationship. We'll see if the second half of that is right later on. And for our miscellaneous prediction, you were to predict how many Cy Tolliver scenes we would have this episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Mel and Carol each predicted we'd have three Cy scenes. Matt said two. We only had one. Yeah. If we're we're giving it to the closest person, then Matt would win by default. Yay, default, default. Default is Matt's best friend. Mm. Yes. So that would be uh, two wins for Matt this season. <clears throat> Yay. All right, let's do feedback. We only have one item of feedback, and it's an email from Harold. We'll have Mel read it. Sure. I began compiling a list of all the lies agreed upon in this episode, but it turned into a recap. Of course, isn't our society built on a foundation of lies agreed upon? How else can you describe the idea that gold or paper money is valuable or that Deadwood is a part of the Dakota Territory? Unless we decide it's actually a part of the Montana Territory? (laughs) My favorite lies here were by Charlie Utter when he used his alleged hearing loss and vertigo to ignore the punchline to Jane's story and get Seth to cool off before returning to the gym. As for Seth's and Alma's decisions to live lies and pretend that Salma never happened, really, what choice did they have at that time and place? A divorce was extremely hard to obtain, and were Bullock to abandon his wife and child in Deadwood, his reputation would be in tatters, and if Alma ran off with a married man, she would be shunned in proper society, no matter how rich and powerful her gold mine makes her. I give this nine removable bundling bundling boards out of ten. (laughs) Thanks, Thank you, Harold. Thank you, Harold. Folks, you're getting lazy with your feedback. Hooplecast at gmail.com. Send it in. We love hearing from you. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, let's get to rating this. Bastards. <laughs> Those are our precious listeners. <laughs> Screw them. <laughs> I, I will only be nice once they start sending feedback again. Let's have our guest uh, rate the episode first. Okay. Um, hmm. I'm not sure. I didn't think about it. Uh, I do want to say, though, that somebody needs to kill Sai, and he's just evil. Aww. Um, but this episode just had so much awesome Jane, so it really brings it up in my, in my book. I'm, 
Yeah, I, I feel like this whole episode is the cleanup from ye- uh, yesterday's, geez, uh, the last episode, part one. Uh, part one was we're going to make a mess, and part two is we got to clean up the mess. So, uh, hmm, I'm going to give it nine out of ten pussy whiffs. Okay. <laughs> Very nice. Carol? Well, she just took, like, the words right out of my mouth, that this was... <laughs> Um, you know, everything happened in the last one and then they had to kind of clean it up in this one and, and set everything up for the rest of the show. So I don't give it as high as the last one. Um, and I had eight out of 10 fragrant whores. Okay. So as I say, she, you know, we're on the same track here. Matt? Um, I liked it. It moved very fast. Like compared to a our like, podcast, yeah. <laughs> compared to a regular Deadwood episode, I found it was just like this scene, then the next scene, then the next scene, and like every, a lot of people just got one scene. And, but that was fine. Um, I'll give it uh, eight point five out of ten scoops of brain. Mel. I didn't find it moved fast at all. I thought it was slow. I didn't really like this episode that much. Mm. Yeah. And maybe that might not be fair because I, I'm tired today and I'm not in a good mood. <laughs> so that may not be fair, but, um, that's just the way I feel, goddammit. And, <laughs> okay. And, uh, I don't know. I, and it may not be fair to say either that after watching this episode, like we watched it right before the podcast. So, and a lot of the stuff I didn't really understand, but we didn't have the chance to rewatch it or to look up anything that I didn't understand. So I just kind of came into this really not knowing what the hell was going on <laughs> for a lot of it. So, yeah. Anyways, Whatever, life's not fair. So, 6 out of 10, transpirings inside of Al's anus. <laughs> okay. Uh, I like this one fine. I think I like the part one more because it had the big fight and the awkward Alma meeting the wife scene. But this one had Jane. Jane's back. That's great. Yay. She was very funny. Um, the stuff with the thumb was funny. Slippery Dan. That was gr- grotesque. Um, and... Uh, I just uh, I liked uh, oh Dan crying like a big baby. A lot of lot of little individual moments, but overall it it probably is a little less exciting than the previous one. So I'll give it eight point five out of ten. Eight point five out of ten. I had a rating, then I lost it. I'll just go with the eight point five out of ten stinky lady parts. <laughs> that wasn't my original rating, but I can't remember what it was. Well, this one's just fine. Don't worry about it. Thank you. (laughs) How about 8.5 out of 10 drunks impaled on antlers? Okay. I like stinky movie parts better. (laughs) I'm going to isolate that audio. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't! I'll kill you, I'll kill you. (laughs) Not in the mood today. Uh, Nutty, who's your character of the episode? My favorite character of the episode is going to be Jane because I love her always. Um, although Dan is a good runner-up for his crying scene. Okay, Carol? I would have gone with Jane, 
but I'm going to go with Al because of that last third of the episode where he is just where he starts pulling his himself back together and uh, deals with Dan and, and Seth and basically just manipulates everybody into doing what he needs to needs them to. So I'm going to go with Al. Okay. Matt? I'll go with Charlie Utter for his creative use of all of his bodily functions and body parts to save people's feelings and save face and avoid disaster. Good choice. How considerate of him. Mel? I, I'm going to go with Trixie because she swears a lot this episode and I like her attitude. <laughs> I like her moxie. That's right. That gal's got moxie. That's right. Hmm. Tempted to give it to Charlie, but I'm going to give it to a character who doesn't get any appreciation on the show, but she has fantastic aim. That's right. Dolly the whore. <laughs> Bravo. Good job, Dolly. At first, I thought you were going to go for Slippery Dan until you started using female pronouns. Oh, Nope, thumbs up to Dolly. <laughs> oh, man, that's just horrible. Uh, quotes. Nutty, do you have a quote? Uh, of course, I got to start with Jane. Start down now, you limey cocksucker. Allow for getting stuck on from crawling out from under the bed. Carol? Um, if you care to sojour- sojourn with us, Charlie Utter has put aside for a room for you in the freight building. Does he have any animals in there? Oh, Jane. Oh, Jane. Matt? I'd settle for a vigorous hand-holding. <laughs> that was one you, of my backups. <laughs> how do you vigorously hold a hand? It's more like a handshake, isn't it? I actually thought he was uh, implying to her that he wanted something else as far as hand hands go. Yeah. I thought it was in response to that's not what he was looking for. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he meant it. He he was making a joke and meant actual, you know, hand-holding. Yeah. And she took it that way, but I was like, is he saying he wants her to, you know? No, I think it was it was in response to, like, she's talking all blowjobs and handies and all this, and he's like, figure hand-holding. That's good. <laughs> right, because you know. he, he always brings it back to being something much more uh, personal rather than... Mm-hmm impersonal sex um yeah but when i first said it i was like huh (laughs) and then when she just laughed and they actually held hands i was like oh okay he was being sweet yeah mel do you have a quote (laughs) uh yeah arnum i didn't linger for the song of the bed said let me check on those fucking whores (laughs) (laughs) mine's from charlie my bowels are in upheaval. I'll walk off to pass wind. I never say I'm not a fucking gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> Want a fast blowjob, a quick open air one? <laughs> Do I? <laughs> Do I ever? Um, when, when Johnny Burns says, he's coming, he's detained, getting dressed, Jane. Ain't it always a trial picking out the best gown, best conceal you fucking pissed yourself? <laughs> yeah. She's so like, awesome. 
She likes to defuse a situation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Al yells, Jesus Christ, and Johnny says, Either Al got God, or Dolly just stuck her thumb back up his ass. <laughs> How do they know, like, of all the goings on in that bedroom? Like, do they just walk into his bedroom every once in a while? Oh, oh, you know, whatever. Let's talk about well, business. Well, we saw at the beginning, yeah, people, his door, his office was like a revolving door. That's right, door. so they must cut, walk into him having sex all the time. Yeah. Plus, I get the feeling that he's not shy about telling th- what he wants in a loud voice. Yeah. It's weird though, like he's very shy about uh, having stones, but he's not shy about getting fingers up his ass. Mm. Uh, anyone got any others? I got one more. I have mm, two more. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. The entire area of my fucking asshole is now one gigantic fucking throb. I have no idea what's transpiring in there. Shall I <laughs> second prick? Please. <laughs> I like that she says shall. Shall yeah. I suck? <laughs> and his please struck me. Mm-hmm. So polite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, Whatever looks ahead, grievous abominations and disorder, you and me walk into it together, like always. Aww. Buddies for life. I love him. <laughs> yeah. My last uh, quote is from Elmer. Whoo, mother, it's the ocean! (laughs) That was pretty good. That was really Mm. good. I I do want to put, sorry, this is another one, but it's Doc. Jane, for me, the female breast long ago lost mystery or allure. Open your goddamn blouse. (laughs) (laughs) I I like that. (laughs) I, I sometimes wonder when watching this how many doctors watch this show and we're just like yeah <laughs> I'd like to be able to talk to him just that way that's what I'm thinking <laughs> it's a supply and demand thing when there's one doctor in the camp you get to say whatever you want yeah <laughs> that's right when Moira's on next time we should ask her what's the like most uh, not offensive but uh, perhaps uh, inappropriate something inappropriate something you may have regretted saying to a patient Mm. Yeah. I wonder if she would tell us. I wonder. Well, if she actually okay. said it to a patient, I don't think she could tell us. Good point. Well, if it's not medical information and she doesn't tell us the patient's name. Mm. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, our next episode is episode three of season two New Money. Predict away. There's going to be a new currency around. I think it's going to be puppies. What do we say? No, it was, <laughs> wasn't it cows? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe they'll... Oh, no, it'll be cow patties. There's plenty of those around. <laughs> People are going to start trading in hamburgers. Who's going to get rich off hamburgers? Mm-hmm. I- I'm I'm thinking some some oh. big upstart is like, you know, the... you know the difference between old money and new money? Yeah, it's, they're going to yep. come in and be like, i tell you how to run things here, that sort of thing. Okay, so is the new money coming in, or is someone in the camp the new money? I think new money's coming in. I think somebody's going to come in and try and tell them how to run things. New money is the story of McDonald's. (laughs) Someone's going to open up a new burger joint, and it's going to be the story of McDonald's. (laughs) I'm going to move to Deadwood and open up my new, uh, my latest honey bucket. That's right! (laughs) Honey bucket, it's a whorehouse slash burger joint. Wouldn't that be KFC? (laughs) <laughs> yes, or that. A ch- fried chicken joint. 
whorehouse slash fried chicken. You just see a bunch of whores just laying in bed eating fried chicken. <laughs> that does, it does work with the whole idea of chicken ranch. Oh, uh, gross. Just that, grease stains everywhere. Somebody's gonna strike rich. I'm not sure who. Uh, who's still, who's still actually panning for gold out there? Ellsworth. 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 Ellsworth's gonna strike, strike rich, and he's gonna have to take, uh, take lessons in being upper class from, uh, from Joni? From, no, from, uh, Mrs. Garrett. Oh. 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 Elma's Charm School. Yeah, she's good. <laughs> Ellsworth's gonna walk around with a book on his nose. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, on his head. Carol, any predictions? Yeah, I I think it's gonna have a couple different meanings in different ways. I mean, I absolutely immediately thought about the new money, old money thing. Um, I'm wondering whether Joni is the new money in that she gets her whorehouse going and now she's actually got you know got money going on and and stuff but i also it seems like there's it seems like there's gonna be a new player in town it's about time to introduce another character because it's the third episode in uh and uh even though new money normally is somebody who just got money who never had money before it could be could be somebody who makes money off from gold that we haven't seen yet. Or it even could be, I mean, um, what's her name? Alma is actually new money as well. So it could have something to do with Alma or um, somebody who struck gold and starts throwing their money around trying to join society and such. Okay. Does anyone have any thoughts about uh, anything else they would like to predict uh, count-wise? What's the count? We've had new characters. We've had Cy Tolliver scenes. If anyone wants to think of anything anything new for the third episode. Oh, I'm going to give you work, and I'm going to make you count the amount of F-bombs. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to predict 32 F-bombs. Isn't that, isn't that, all, oh no, that's, that's not the F-bombs. I was going to say, didn't somebody count all those? But no, that was the other. No. 45. There is a website that counted all the, all the fucks in the show. Damn. Okay. But, um, I could do my own count, I suppose. <laughs> no. Just Google it. Why should you do that? I mean, bang it. Let's see, it's, it's, uh, like 50 minutes long or so. Um, how many per minute are we talking about in this show? Um, I'll say one a minute, 50. Say 50. Ooh. Matt, you said how many? 32. Mel? 45. 45, okay. And since I'm always wrong, I was right once, wasn't I? <laughs> You'll probably be right. It's probably about one a minute. Yeah. Watch, we'll we'll look at the next episode and it'll be 102 minutes long. Actually, mm-hmm. I'm going to revise. I'm going to say 18. <laughs> it's 30, it's 32. You want to go way low. Yeah. I'm going to go way low. Mm. I don't know. I think Al could do 18 in one soliloquy, really. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, there were six in one quote tonight. <laughs> yeah. 
24. 24. 24 is the final answer. Oh, come on. You've got to make up your mind there, Matt. I'm sticking with 32. Damn. <laughs> $1, Bob. $1. Yeah. All right. Uh, Nuchas, do you have any projects or podcasts or miscellaneous things you'd like to promote? Yes. Uh, you can find my regular podcast, Nutty Bites, at nimlas.org. You can also find links to my other podcasts, including... Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast, and you can find Epic and all sorts of other things. But currently, right now, I am doing the Dog Days of Podcasting Challenge, which is a bunch of podcasters getting together, and we're doing daily podcasts. This year, I'm uh, calling up people that I know and just having little chats with them, and it's been pretty fantastic lately. Um, so you can tune into that at nimlast.org, or you can just go to dogdaysofpodcasting.com, and you can subscribe to the main feed where you can listen to me and you can listen to the 20 other podcasters doing this. It's actually really fun listening to the whole feed because there's a, a bit of interaction every now and then between them. That's cool. You're like a superhero team up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We are the Avengers. <laughs> Anyone have anything else they'd like to promote? I was on What We Make talking about Goodbye to All of That. It was an episode of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Cool. That's it. Defenders podcast, but we don't have, currently have a home. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. We'll get it. Okay. Well, hooplecast.com. Twitter is at hooplecast. Send feedback to hooplecast at gmail.com. Please go on to the Facebook group. Search for us. Join our group because we have discussions there, stuff that we don't cover in the in the podcast proper. It ends up getting in the... Uh, in the Facebook group. Some naughty images up there right now. Yeah, currently. Oh, there's a great response, by the way. Uh, Emily responded to the prostate massage and then the book about pleasurable prostate. Um, uh, she's like, I haven't watched the episode yet. It looks dot, dot, dot interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Emily, it was interesting. <laughs> also, we could use iTunes reviews. So uh, please go on iTunes and leave a five star review. Did I do that yet? I you did. So. I did? Oh, good. You did. Yay! I'm yeah. so bad at that. <laughs> if there's uh, nothing else... Really, obviously, better than most people. <laughs> Everyone else sucks. Aww. Alright, goodbye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, wow. Thanks, everybody. Fuck you. There we go, I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> you should give people a whiff as, uh, as they go by. And yell, fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, just wave your skirts. <laughs> lift your lift your skirts and shake and yell, fuck you. <laughs> what do great apes and humans have in common? Our fingers are opposite from end. Touch the thumb. Throw something to me Hold a drumstick Pick fruit from a tree You're using your thumb Hammer a nail Or using a tool Letting your friends Know that you're cool You're using your thumb There's so many things We can do with our thumbs Like remote controlling Zipping, tying a knot Turning a knob We use our thumbs To write this song The list goes on and on and on Two great apes And humans have in common
cereal no it sounded like yeah, cereal I just, I just made i just made appropriately enough peach hand pies <laughs> Ooh. oh my no i didn't use canned peaches though sorry oh, oh boo oh no, no that's, that's that's even better i know it's not you know within the show but it's it's definitely better yes but it's you have to be show appropriate mm. no, i know i know i fail <laughs> Get these pies out of here. I do love me some canned peaches. Actually, I have a peach sitting here uh, next to me for if I want a snack while we're recording. Hmm. Oh, I should buy some of that peach whiskey that uh, I keep seeing. I wonder how that tastes. It's probably awful. Probably. Maybe, I should, maybe I should buy a, a 50 milliliter bottle and try that during our recording. Or just like have a can of peaches with some whiskey. <laughs> I could do that too. <laughs> that might be better. <laughs> uh, actually, yes, that would be more appropriate. Uh, that's a lot of that's a lot of things on the desk to juggle during recording. I got <laughs> how, I got cans. How small is your desk? <laughs> no. Anyway, moving moving on. <laughs> I'm just I'm just picturing like a, a pyramid of canned peaches on your desk right now, and you're like, I I only have so much room here, guys. <laughs> I was thinking more of the logistics of of handling for both food and liquor and uh, and work trying to narrate this host this podcast all at the same time i, I think you can do it It'd be well thank you for the <laughs> for your confidence <laughs> i want one of those um 
what do they call them? Pop figurines? You know, the ones, those super... The Funko? Funko figurines yep. of an elsewhere the engine, big please. <laughs> I want a, a pre-fight elsewhere engine and a uh, a post-fight <laughs> elsewhere engine with a, you know, engorged eye and, you know, <laughs> I don't having, like having gleet problems. <laughs> I don't like those toys. I prefer my toys to look like the thing they're supposed to be. <laughs> I don't like super big heads and deformities. I like I like toys. the super big heads. I just don't like the 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 newer ones where the women, the female figures, their bodies are getting so tiny that they can't stand up. That's they so need dumb. to be able to stand up on their yeah. own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you find an Alswearingen Funko figure, uh, just buy two, and I'll I'll transform the second one into. Uh, into beat up elsewhere engine for you. <laughs> you just you'll get a, a Seth figurine and then you just pound them against each other. <laughs> <laughs> I've um I've actually taken a lot of those and I've modified them. Like I would find one and I would just modify it until it was the character that I wanted. And then I've gotten uh some of the blank ones. And so for Christmas, I made my brother-in-law as like I sculpted his hair on top and I added all these extra details to be him. Well, maybe they'll release some of those if that Deadwood movie actually happens. That'd be cool. This the Gem Saloon. It smells like the gamer room at any con. Like that's just what I assume. <laughs> um, I lived in Nova Scotia, and Nova Scotia is a clean air province. And basically, what it is is there is a law saying that you can't put scents on in public places, like um, government buildings and so forth. So you can't wear perfumes and stuff. And I actually found it really freeing. I really enjoyed it because I wasn't smelling people's perfume. And New Brunswick, I don't think that's a law, but it's not a law. But they do enforce, like at work, they they they'll yeah say, they'll say that you're not allowed to wear perfume, but then your HR person will be wearing tons of perfume. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's it's people just culturally don't do it as much. Yeah. And then I moved to Ontario, and oh my gosh, people wear so much perfume here. And I'm like, I'm wishing for the clean air acts to come to Ontario. And we were out at a restaurant and the waitress, I'm like, I can't smell my food. I can just smell her perfume. I know, it's gross. And I had to complain. And it's like, I'm sure she spent a lot of money on that perfume. But it's it's what Carol said. You get used to smelling certain things. So I'm sure a lot of people that have been living here for a long time are thinking, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't really smell it. Mm-hmm. Whereas having been... um detoxed from people wearing perfume uh living in the east coast now when i when somebody's wearing perfume i'm like oh my god are you wearing the whole bottle mm, yeah, I, I can relate to that just from when I, between when i was a kid and now because when i was a kid there was a people were a lot more perfume and stuff i mean women yeah. didn't go out of the house without their perfume and and so forth and so on and men with cologne and all that and now people just don't wear as much perfume and cologne. And yeah. every now and then you'll get someone who's wearing perfume and it's just like, sometimes you can hardly breathe. It's just like, and I know I was not like that when I was a kid. There are women yeah. with very floral perfumes that make my nose run and eyes water. Mm. Yeah. What's the difference between a female raft guide and a hockey player? <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> no! <laughs> Mel and Matt, you can't answer this. <laughs> the hockey player showers after three periods. We oh. learned all sorts of uh, <laughs> grotesque jokes when we were whitewater rafting about oh. uh, people's uh, body odor and, and so forth. Yeah. 
That sounds yeah. so gross. Breast-eyed life is uh, pretty stinky. It's, it's, a, it's a smelly life. They don't yeah. shower either. <laughs> it was pretty funny when he's like, you guys uh, mind off-color jokes? And he's like, this one's about women. And you were like, oh, yay, misogyny. <laughs> <laughs> You know, though, even when when I was on uh, a trip up through Canada and I was in the Canadian Rockies and I was staying in youth hostels and there were no showers or bathing facilities in any of the youth hostels for day after day. But, you know, people went into those those, uh, glacial streams running next to the youth hostels to to wash and stuff. I mean, it, it can definitely be done. It's cold. It's but cold. It's done. Yeah. I found a thread about uh, raft jokes, <laughs> so that next time we go rafting, I will be prepared with a punchline. <laughs> You'll learn them all by heart. <laughs> Why would you do that? I don't know. But... I don't know. <laughs> you never know when you might need it. Yeah. When I have, you can be prepared, but just so you know, when I've gone whitewater rafting, I've never run into those kinds of jokes. So it might have just been where you went. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, but I mean, it was just weird how the guy was like telling these jokes, uh, like the one I just told. And it's like, what are you talking about? You smell terrible. Like you have no position to talk from. <laughs> it took him a it took him a while to admit his own stink. Yeah, we it hit us like a like a brick wall, <laughs> like in the first minute. <laughs> well, these guys really smell bad. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on. That's we talked about uh, body odor for. Let's talk about body odor when I'm on. Are you guys trying to say something? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I can smell all of you through this microphone. <laughs> if you smell something, say something. <laughs> I just did. It's it's the newest technology. That's right. No smell o vision. Yeah. Back at the hardware store, Trixie's with Saul. I'm I'm talking like I know the intricacies of uh, whoring. How many whorehouses have you run in your lifetime? <laughs> Three or four. <laughs> He's a pro. I have a chain. <laughs> you knew it. Cup in handy. What's it called? <laughs> I, I haven't. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Edit in I'm, not, I'm not that witty. Edit Matt's B Ranch. Later. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to. Yes. What the what ranch? I gave you the B Ranch. The B Ranch. Yeah. It's something bee. different, right? You gotta the be exclusive. The honey bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's just like a two foot by two foot establishment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask your question again, I'll have that answer ready. <laughs> <laughs> what are they called? The honey bucket. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Uh, Mel has visited the mall. <laughs> yeah, I have photo. Fo- I have photos of Mel next to the honey buckets. I wonder if anyone who ever slept with a bundling board was ever like, oh, I feel, oh, I'm feeling something really stiff right now. Oh, it's the fucking board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, <got> my- <laughs> oh my, honey, I, I think you're you're setting up your own bundling board. Uh, excuse me, I got to take care of something. By the way, Matt, I'm totally laughing at that picture you found. <laughs> I know, right? It's very, go- it's very goofy. <laughs> what picture's that? I was, I was actually, I found another picture of that from that same couple in that same bed, and I was like, God, I hope this isn't from a porno. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> At the bottom of the bundling 
uh, yeah. Wikipedia article, there's a link to non-penetrative sex. Uh, okay. <laughs> outer course. It's also called outer course. <laughs> outer course. Oh no. Really? <laughs> oh. Um. God, people were so weird back then. Yeah. Oh my god, there's more information on prostate massage. Oh no. Somebody responded to Facebook. To... Yes. Yeah. You need to move on. I, I do, but somebody posted it oh, in response. Geez. That picture. Oh jeez. That is so chaste. Wow. Isn't that great? Mm, I don't know about that. It's weird. <laughs> really sorry for sending that article, by the way. There's a lot of explicit sexual abuse in there. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure, you know, everybody's seen that stuff before, but whatever. I'm, I'm learning <laughs> some new words. Expensive. What? I'm learning some new words. I know, so am I. <laughs> I'm whatever it was. I had missed it. it. You got really quiet there for a while. Oh, what word did I miss? What new word? Oh, what? I didn't say what the words were. I just no, said I'm learning not. new words. Like like frottage. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I'm looking at right now. Uh, Mel posted an an article to the non-penetrative sex, and there's a lot of explicit photos in there. And I think there's she realized that after really, she started reading. Yeah, there are I, some I, I, drawings okay. here. These all have to be posted on the group. All the photos? <laughs> all of them. All of them. <laughs> we better watch out. I could see um I could see the Facebook page being deleted from Yeah. <laughs> or, uh... well, it's a private group, right? And this is educational. This is information. Well, it is it is uh, educational. I mean, you're seeing Historical. all kinds of sexual positions and the uh, just uh, outer outer course activities. <laughs> Every time you say that, I keep thinking that it's something astronauts should be doing. <laughs> Astronaut sex. You guys are killing me. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. I wonder if there is such a thing as astronaut porn. Oh, yes, there is, actually. If, there is. If yes. the statement ends with porn, then yes, there is. <laughs> there is, um, yes. It really doesn't matter what the beginning of that statement is. So I'm assuming there's... it's like it's like you know like the the sack thing, but like in an astronaut suit. <laughs> oh, there's all different kinds actually. Uh, one of the readers that you guys had uh, recently, Christiana Ellis, she read for Nobilis Erotica, and there was this whole story about uh one character is in their spaceship, another character is in another spaceship, but they've got this like virtual reality thing. Oh. And when they get close enough, there's like very little delay, whereas. <laughs> When they're far apart, they have to plan ahead of time what they're going to do, so they have to be really careful where they move. Okay. It's really good. <laughs> okay. And like, not in like, oh, wow, that got me turned on, just really in a, well, that's an interesting way to think about it kind of a way. I'm confused, though. Like, what? So they have to plan their sexual activities yep. beforehand? Uh-huh. Because okay. if, if there's like a a six hour time delay, she oh, has to know where he's going to move. Oh, so it's almost like a skill. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. See, it's I told like, you it was interesting. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Like, I, I just wasn't sure where, like, what that. I was like, how, why did they? What? <laughs> it's like conducting a naval battle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it requires strategy uh, yeah. <laughs> or choreography. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Sex and math.
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's that's going to be my next book, Sex and Math. There you go. <laughs> well, this would be a good time to announce our Hoople, Hooplecast contest where we want <laughs> listeners to write erotic fiction set, <laughs> set in Deadwood. Uh-oh. In, a, in 1876 or uh, to 1880, you get bonus points if you include uh, monologues or uh, soliloquies. Or cans or the of peaches. Liquor. <laughs> cans of peaches. <laughs> peaches, yep. Oh. Actually, we really should have a contest. <laughs> I'm just here to suck cock. I like giving blowjobs. I like stinky lady parts better.